For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Welcome back. Some fabulous sporting heroes and the Echo carries it on the front page this morning. In the heat of Abu Dhabi last Saturday, Louise Brady at the age of 17 from Farinry was crowned world champion in the Youth World MMA Championships. And meanwhile, over in Ard Cullen in Holly Hill, they were celebrating Laura, Lauren Crinion's return. 13-year-old girl blinking away tears as the community cheered her home from her silver medal in the European School's Boxing Championships in Turkey. So medals galore on the front of this morning's Echo, and it's absolutely great. Another piece of metal found on West Cork. Um, this is actually two of them. They thought that might have been World War II bombs. They turned out to be World War I bombs, probably, probably um, dropped, um, or whatever the case may be, from a World War II plane or something like that, ended up in the tide. In fact, there was a, a fella dredging with dredging machinery uh, who disturbed them on the seafloor. Uh, well, spotted them, actually, more likely. Uh, but it's interesting because the examiner this morning says that thousands and thousands and thousands of boats over the years of all different shapes and sizes would have sailed over these two bombs. It turned out they were free from explosives. There was no explosives in them, but they weren't to know that. So they blew them up, and it's a story that makes uh, the examiner today. Um, the mother of Santina Cawley chatted about this on the air yesterday, Bridget. Uh, the examiner picks up on it as well today. The letter claiming to be from the killer of her daughter, Karen Harrington, from jail. Um, the examiner picks up on it this morning. Santina's mother very upset by the letter. I actually have a copy of the letter. Some of it is, is redacted, um, um, probably uh, for the right reasons, I suppose. Uh, but the rest of the letter, I'll, I'll read from sections of it later on this morning. I would, I would have thought, though, that a letter, I, I mean, I don't know, but I would have thought that a letter coming out of... Um, a prison, Limerick prison, Cork prison, any of the prisons would have some kind of a stamp on it. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that it's not authentic, uh, but certainly um, it would appear that uh, Bridget is very, very upset. And the part that she's very upset about, I would imagine, uh, would be the part where Harrington says that she will never accept the blame for something that she didn't do. Uh, the amount of uh, attacks now on people as they go about their social life is just getting all so bad in the sense that we've had two deaths now in the last week we had a lad who died up in Athlone after being attacked he had left a stag uh, hit the ground died uh, Guardian Hour investigating another death a fellow by the name of Dylan McCarthy he was attacked and punched by so many people they probably will never be able to work out which punch actually killed him or whether it was the fall to the ground after being beaten up that killed him he died after being struck on the head by several men now apparently the Garda Shikana do have very good CCTV footage they're also appealing for witnesses to the attack above in, in Kildare they have CCTV footage of and you see several men delivering sickening punches to his head and then kicking him as well uh, they were waiting on post-mortem results now to see if he died from the punch or as they say from, from the actual fall. But it would appear, according to a source, that um, the charge, if they could identify those involved, would be violent disorder, assault causing serious harm, uh, more likely to be manslaughter, but not murder for an attack like that. Um, it's awful. I don't know what people are on these days, but clearly I'd imagine that substance abuse has got to have something to do with that people get so angry and attack each other where it can lead to the death. And these are two men in the last week. And then, of course, you have another story that's uh, very, very disturbing. This is out of Roscommon. 94-year-old woman and her two sons terrorised by a six-man gang who came into their home the early hours of the morning and held them hostage. Now, it's a story from The Independent today. They were looking for money and jewellery and the things that they do around one o'clock in the morning. Masked gang, six of them. They held the entire family. She's 94 now, bear in mind. 
and her sons in one room and then they ransacked the entire house. They only got away with a small bit of cash but apparently uh, the, the, the family, the 94-year-old and her, and her two sons have a little shop attached to their house. So these six characters believe that there might be substantial amounts of cash kept in the property because of the house and the shop next door to it. Uh, money dominates many of the papers today. 40% of workers in our early... I mean, why we get it so wrong with regards to our healthcare staff and those that mind our children? Um, you know, certainly in healthcare, uh, we have many, many stories of, of people suffering because of the state of the HSE. But those that mind our children are shockingly badly paid. And, uh, you know, you talk about people quitting their career path... You'll, you'll see it more in, in childcare and those in the childcare sector than anything else. And the reason being, of course, low pay. We just don't value them enough for those that run the businesses or those that sort, that uh, subvent it with, uh, you know, uh, money from government sources. Of course, money from government coffers. They just don't give enough to the companies that could then be passed on to staff. Uh, and, of course, everybody's feeling the pinch. Um, and apparently the credit unions are doing a roaring trade these days in uh, loans. It's a story I'm making the front of the mail today. The senior, it's an interesting example of that is they looked at one credit union. Um, it wasn't in Cork. It was up in, in Ross Common, Common, but I imagine the same could be said in Cork. It has to do with back-to-school uh, costs, and there should be no back-to-school costs. We pay enough in taxation, you know, really and truly. There should be no charge for anything. Schools should be able to be funded through national coffers. Books should be free, I mean free, and uniforms, they need to get a grip on all that kind of nonsense and footwear. But one particular credit union said at the beginning of August, um, they uh, and this is only in, a, in a, the period of a, a, just a few days, apparently, they've given out €60,000 in loans, which is 20 times more than last year's figure. Like last year, they gave out like three grand in loans in a short period of time. This time, uh, 60 grand. And also, cost of home eating all is falling. But if you look at the comparison between now and last year, in spite of the fall, bills are nearly twice the amount. But why is petrol coming down? I mean, why is petrol down in and around 40 cent a litre now from a few months ago? That's an extraordinary thing. I can't work out as to why it's dropping. Uh, Like anybody now that, that isn't getting, certainly petrol, in and around the 180s, you're being robbed because it's available in the 180s, possibly very soon in the somewhere in the 170s. But um, the, 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 the cost of living really has just gone absolutely through the roof. And I've actually got some CSO stats, which I'll come back to later on. Not just food produce, but I have stats also for the construction industry. And it is mind blowing, the increases in construction costs. Uh, papers also today are talking about students who um, are being scammed as they try and get a room or a house share. And apparently it's so bad, and this could probably be said about Cork as well, where students are planning to sleep in cars and in tents uh, on or near college campuses. Imagine would UCC allow them pitch tents on the quad uh, just because they can't secure accommodation in time for the next academic year. Papers also, and a lighter note, I suppose, although it's very serious, uh, the way people are treated on on Love Island, but apparently Laura Whitmore has now become Laura Quitmore. She's stepping down from hosting it, she says, and claims that certain elements of the top telly job are difficult. Now, whether it's having to jet back and forth to South Africa and it's getting in the way of other projects, or whether it's the bullying and the way people are treated on the show, or indeed maybe even her contributions to, uh, you know, uh, some of the criticism of the show, Love Violent, since she took over from Caroline Flack. I don't know, but she's quitting, um, and uh, they're going to be trawling for a new presenter of that one. And you remember I mentioned yesterday about an RTE show. They are bringing back all of Ireland's Eurovision winners 
for a special show in association with the RT Concert Orchestra. Well, all except for one, Dana, who won the Eurovision first for us back in 1970 and set the ball rolling for our trawl of wins. Well, she hasn't been invited. It can't have been a slip-up. They can't have just forgotten about Dana. Surely be to God. It's got to be intentional. Brenda Power in the in the mail this morning in her hard-hitting column says she thinks it might well be because of Dana's strong pro-life views, which might trigger some snowflakes. Um, so RT reckons that it's safer to pretend that she never existed at all. And she calls them cowards. Uh, meanwhile, of course, RT having all sorts of fun and games then with uh, the Rose of Tralee. And fair play to Dahi. He really bigs it up and he gets into the mood and he does a damn good job in it. And apparently somebody um, challenged him to get into an ice bath and he did. And he whipped off, what did he whip off? He whipped off the slacks and underneath it uh, he had uh, the uh, gas shorts um, and jumped into the hot tub, like, or the hot tub. It would be alright if it was a hot tub. It was an ice bath. But there's a microphone attached to the side of it with electrical cable coming off it. <laughs> I couldn't help but look at that this morning and say, Chase Dahi, you'd be in right trouble, boy. If that mic fell into the water, you'd know all about it. <laughs> Hang on. Nothing happening here. No, I have a piece of audio of that show, but for some reason, Dahi refuses. Hang on, Dahi refuses to contribute. Here he is now. You should probably take off your clothes, Dahi. Ah, uh, hang on. Take off the shoes. I think so. Yeah. The shoes. Yeah, the whole thing. What about the pants? Yeah, he's right. Do I get in? So get in, and when you're ha- at the seat, that's it. So breathe, long exhale, Sahi. We do one, two, three. One. Focus on your exhale. Long exhales, that's it, you're smashing it. Oh, you're smashing it. These terms they use these days. Focus on your exhale. I'd be focusing on some certain body parts down south or on the midriff that literally would completely and utterly disappear if I was a man. But they say a good ice bath in the morning sets you up for the entire day. <laughs> so for freeze a jolly good fellow, for freeze a jolly good fellow, etc., etc., etc. The Neil Prendeville Show, Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork. On Red FM. You know, I was telling you yesterday about uh, a woman who was 72 hours waiting uh, on a trolley in A&E. Uh, when we were chatting with her son, Brendan, this time yesterday morning, she was a year, over a year. She was an hour for every year of her life on a trolley in uh, CUH A&E. Huge response to that by text. I mean, absolutely enormous. And I will come back to them throughout the course uh, of the morning uh, and jump in and out of different texts and calls. But I wanted to check back in again with Brendan 24 hours later to see how things went across yesterday, last evening, last night and overnight at CUH. And he joins me by phone again. Brendan, good morning. Martin Neil, how are you? I don't know how your mum is feeling, but you must be exhausted. Right. Yeah. How right. is she? What happened yesterday? Because by we were chatting 73 hours, 74 hours, 75 hours when I was coming off air. What happened then? We got out to 83 hours and she got her a bed last night, the geriatric ward at 7 o'clock. Um, and is anybody saying, we're sorry about this? Um, it shouldn't have happened? Right. Or are they saying, this is just the way it is? There was an email from the HSC. I think you have that there as well. Mm, no, not right now, but tell me about it anyway. No, it was, it was basically it was just an email to say that we understand that it's the situation you're in and that 
we are we're trying our level best. That, that was it, in a nutshell. What time did you get that at? Uh, that was yesterday evening about four. Ah, here it is. Yeah, I have it here. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, ED are under sustained pressure on the acute floor, working extremely hard to find a bed allocation for your mother this evening. This is last evening. Yeah. Uh, we do not find this situation acceptable and understand the distress this causes to both family and patients. We worked hard to provide it. Um, and it goes on to talk about the care your mum and the emergency department are waiting for bed management. Is there was there no bed anywhere in that monstrosity of a hospital? That your mother could have been put in. There must have been yeah. somewhere. There were six beds in A and E. They told me, and they were trying to the staff themselves were trying to get a bed there, but that wasn't working. But then, in the meantime, this bed in the geriatric care came into play. Yeah, and it had to be in geriatric care, did it? It couldn't be another area of the hospital just to get people out of the A and E. No. I don't think so. I think yeah. they wanted geriatric care as what they wanted. Yeah, yeah. And again, this is not in any way. Uh, finding any fault with those that are working within the A&E network. It's the rest of the hospital, the HSE, the management of the different departments that's found wanting here. I had a consultant down with me yesterday morning after talking to you on the floor and he was aware of me being talking to you and basically he said to me, we like to keep keep these things in-house and I can see why they like to keep them in-house because it's Why did he say that? We just like to, we like to keep these things in house and all the noise about them, basically. So don't talk to the media. Don't talk to me. People, people must not know the truth. Is it? Yep. Yeah. And what would that achieve? Right. Does he think keeping this in house? Actually, I suppose because uh, no one runs stones at them. They won't do anything about it. Yeah. You would think that they'd be reaching out for help in these desperate situations where everybody would know how bad it is, so we could all really put pressure on to making it better. But clearly not. Yesterday evening, he lives on back up to my mother, and there were seven, seven ambulances outside the accident emergency. There was one of them out on the road where you go up to the car park, and they had to take a, a child in an incubator out of that and rush through everyone else. Yeah, small little child. Thanks be to God, yeah. the little child wasn't seven, eight, ten hours inside in the back of the ambulance. I don't think they had that time yesterday. Well, yesterday morning, I spoke with a guy who said that there were five people with heart attacks in backs of ambulances for hours at the A&D entrance to the CUH. Heart attacks. It's frightening. Frightening. Our elderly are like the forgotten Irish. Well, they look after everyone else in this country. It's a disgrace. I get up and I go to work every morning, Neil, yeah. and tell them to pay taxes for everyone else to look after the elderly. Yeah. That looked after us when we grew up in this country. Is that how you feel? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that is that her age made? I don't know. I'm not so sure that that her age made any difference in this case. Do you? I think it's. We're hearing enough of stories about elderly being forgotten about in this country. Here are the people who had nothing grown up that made the country what it is for us today. And if we can't have enough respect to give them back something today, the bloody shame. So prioritise respect for those in elder years. Yeah. And treatment, yeah. Like, it, it, is, it is very true, isn't it, that, you know, you're, you're happy to pay your share as you go along, but you want the services there when you need them. Yeah. Yeah. And we need them there for the people that looked after us when we were growing up. Yeah. And how's your mum feeling now? She's a bit better now. Um, she was sedated the night before, so yesterday she slept most of the day. I know she was awake a lot of last night, but they said a lot more comfortable and a lot more relaxed. And she's gone to sleep now again this morning. Okay, you've been chatting with her. She's relieved, is she? The, the, the pressure is after coming off. I think the a was just like, just like being inside in a nightclub trying to sleep. <laughs> he was, yeah. I mean, I think she was under blue fluorescent lamps as well, wasn't she? Yeah. So it would be very, like, who, who of us horrendous. could sleep? Who, who could sleep in a situation like that? Actually, it was actually a form of torture in the long Yeah, I know, I know. They used to keep people under the lights 
getting information out of Yeah, but she's in she's in good hands now in yeah. in 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 the geriatric area, and they're she they're treating in, her for what she needs. She was in good hands in any as well, which was just the situation she was in. There's a massive response to it yesterday from people. I only read out uh, a teaspoonful of the the texts. Um, many people felt your pain and felt your unhappiness and annoyance. Um, but you know, yeah, you know. it is much appreciated, Neil. And yeah. I see something was done. Yeah, but I really and truly believe if I didn't get on to you yesterday morning, I think I'd be still in the same situation. All right, well, I don't know if we had anything to do with it. Clearly. Clearly, it certainly touched a nerve with one some particular consultant. How did you How did you feel when that consultant said, "Like you know, keep it in house"? What did you say? I just, I, I, well, uh, all I said to him, I can see why you like it. you kept in house. And was there a response to that? No, no yeah. response. Yeah, because it was my job, Neil, and I was doing my job the way they are doing their job. I'd be ashamed of my life. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm astonished actually that somebody would say that to you. Um, it's quite aggressive, actually, in, 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 in fact, isn't it? I thought it was. In the situation I was in, no, I, my mother was there at the time and I didn't want to make a scene of it, but if it was anywhere else in the world, that was said to me, he wouldn't be that off. So like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, people have to be heard and, you know, you, you had to be heard for it, hopefully to make a difference for your mother, but you have to be heard so other people know how bad it is. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I'd like to think, Neil, that coming on to you and getting it on the air and people finding out about it, that something will actually be done for other people. Who knows, man? There is, there is, there is people above yeah, there have no yeah. Wouldn't be holding my breath, Brendan, anytime soon, no, you know? As we, like, I, I think, like as, as he spoke about yesterday and I heard the conversation, I think when the flu, the flu season comes in, we're going to be major problems in this country. Yeah, I hate There's saying that, but whatever way we are in August, wait until November, yeah. There's yeah. going to be people dying on trolleys. Yeah. People that don't need to die. Yeah, and, and and you would think that a consultant like that would actually be telling everybody, you know, contact radio, contact television, contact your newspapers, go on yeah. social media, tell everybody how bad it is. But no, it's just lift up the carpet and bury it under it, sweep it all away. I think, I think he signed up for a duty of care, not to hide it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because it focuses my mind very much as to how some people feel in the COH. It really does. Yeah. It really does. And um, listen, uh, I'm so happy. How many hours eventually then? 83. 83. 83. All right, Brendan. Listen, thanks for the update, thanks, pal. Stay in touch, Thank brother. You. Take care of yourself. Cheers. Bye Rather now, ironic that three former health ministers were down in Bale Blois honouring Michael Collins' centenary while this lady was enduring such an experience in the HSE hospital only 15 miles away. That's a reference to Martin Varadkar and Harris. I'm sure Simon Coveney was probably down there as well, but not a health minister. I know what you mean. Listening to the A&E story, my 91-year-old mum was admitted by ambulance a few weeks ago. No one was allowed in with her. But what was worse was that no one was answering the phone. So we were unable to get any news about her. I tried, tried so many times one day that the girl in reception told, told me she was on a list for a bed. So I relaxed a bit then. You just really have to keep on asking the questions, don't you? I mean, you have to fight your corner, unfortunately. Uh, just one question. Is Stephen Donnelly gone missing? He was never seen or heard of. He promised a lot, gave a hard time to Minister Harris when he was Minister for Health. Thank you very much for your show. You need to keep sharing these stories. Um, you asked about people turning up in A&D unnecessarily. I was in the A&D after having an accident and I witnessed people wasting hospital time and resources. There was a young man waiting as well. When he was eventually seen... He told the doctor in the A&D he had a sore throat. The doctor said, you came here with a sore throat? And he said, yeah, my doctor's on holidays. 
He went away with a flea in his ear and rightly so from the doctor. A woman had called an ambulance from 40 kilometres away as she was bit, uh, she was a bit sniffly and thought she was getting a chest infection. Called an ambulance. How outrageous is that? People need to cop on and realise the meaning of department, accident and emergency. People like these are the reason our sick and our elderly people are sleeping on chairs for hours on end. The HSE should come out with a very blunt statement like Ulster Bank are. You know, I see a lot of Ulster Bank ads saying, we're leaving. We are going away. You need to close your bank account. Do it today. Close your bank account. Any HSE needs to say, stop coming to the A&E with sniffles. Stop coming to the A&E with uh, throat infections, sore throats. Stop coming to the A&E because you got a bit of a cough. Stay away. We don't want you. Go to the pharmacy. Go to the pharmacy. Go to the chemist. Uh, Dara says, we're just yapping here on work about hilarious it is that people you have on talking about housing and health services are the exact same ones that want to open the borders and hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians. We all find it brilliant, says Dara. Yeah, there you go again. Um, anyway, keep those coming. Text 0868 Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086 Red FM. The CUH, I'm a, a member of staff in the hospital and recently had to get an X-ray. My colleagues recognized me and I had an X-ray cast and crutches in and out in two hours. Things can move faster. I don't know why there are such huge delays. Don't give up my details. Well, there you have it. A staff member who got uh, rushed through because uh, this person was recognized by fellow staff and in and out all sorted in two hours. The only reason for that, of course, was because you were bumped up ahead of an awful lot of other people who were waiting an awful lot longer than you. We live in a 5-8 country run by a 5-8 government. What do the sheeple of Ireland expect, says Dennis? Yeah, so... So, what are the sheeple of Ireland going to do about it? Last Monday, my mother, who was 70, fractured her arm after a fall. She went to the Mercy Urgent Care Unit in the orthopaedic hospital. They x-rayed her. They told her she would need, she would, they would need to put it back in place, and they did. All right, this is a fractured arm. They bandaged it up, told her to go to the CUH A&E the following morning at 7 a.m. I dropped her off at 10 to 7 and asked if I could win with her. I was told no. Now, the reason they sent her to the CUH was to see an orthopaedic surgeon. She was checked in, given her wristband and was told the surgeon should be there to see her at around 8 a.m. an hour later. By 4 p.m. no one had come to see her. She kept asking and was told, you'll just have to wait. Eventually at 6 p.m. she asked again. The nurse manager told her, oh, the surgeon has been and gone. Were you checked? Have you a wristband? My mother said she was checked at 7 a.m. Well, unfortunately you've been forgotten, the nurse said. She told my mother that she could either wait here on a chair for the next three days... Or go home and wait two weeks for another appointment. Needless to say, she walked out crying in pain after sitting in a chair for 12 hours and is now waiting for an appointment that may never, ever come. What I can't understand here is why the Mercy Care Unit hasn't an orthopaedic surgeon and is blocking up the CUH. Total and utter mess up there. Can't come on air as I'm working, says Neof. That's an horrific thing to uh, have happened to your mother to be forgotten like that. The forgotten generation, huh? To ease pressure on the A&E, CUH should refuse everyone with broken bones and those people should be sent to the orthopaedic. That's what it's for. That's what free up, yeah? And they have said that, actually, to go to the orthopaedic instead. Just to say Bantry is an absolutely brilliant hospital, yes, I've had other people say that as well. Um, and, in fact, a HSC statement recently uh, said that people should be visiting Bantry Hospital as opposed to going to the CUH A&E, or indeed, I suppose, as well as that, to the Mercy A&E. 
and there's many more like that. My GP, uh, yeah, there's also a lot of texts on people whether or not they can actually see their GPs or not. But um, I just want to have a chat here just for a while with, uh, with, with a couple of guys. Tim is standing by. First up, Paddy, good morning. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll change the line if you don't mind, lads. Paddy, there you are. Morning to you. Hi, hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, uh, you've just been listening recently, and I'm sorry to hear that your mum passed away last year, and it was, a, as you describe it, an horrific experience. Is that right? Yeah, I, I suppose, look, like, yeah, for just, just to go back, I suppose, mum was diagnosed with esophagus cancer in 2019 and, and went through treatment and was in remission for, I suppose, a year or so. And then, unfortunately, um, last year in January, um, went in for for I suppose what at the time what we thought was symptoms of a stroke, but but then I suppose it, it turned out to be that that, that there was cancer back. Right? So that look that was, you know, as you know, as you can, as you can imagine, was horrific. But yes. but I suppose look what, what I just wanted to bring in here. Well, I suppose was that just just I haven't got the full details now about what happened at that man's mother. But my own mother, like between, well, she was eighty three, eighty three years on a trolley. Yeah, three eighty three yeah. hours on a trolley. Seventy two yeah. year old woman in yeah. the A and E. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just. I suppose what, what I just wanted to highlight is that, that that there's like I suppose like us like when when you when you suffer grief you kind of you kick things under the under the thing you know what I mean you kind of say to yourself oh, we 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 we'll maybe highlight that at some stage but I mean what what happened to us like different breakdowns it's it's just it's all coming back down to the fact of that they're they're under too much pressure I suppose really like and, and I suppose really from from just just to give you one example like yeah. my my mother last year um, at one stage became very kind of dis- disoriented and was 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 being sent to Marymount for for um for for respite and when she was out there subsequently had what what we thought was a stroke and we spent the kind of as you know with a stroke time is your is your key and it's both what like just just you know more red tape kind of stuff my mother was out there and and the the um, ambulances were being called but because she was technically in the hospital ambulances were being redeployed and all that. And, and you can imagine the stress of that then like so yeah. even people that were at the the hospital agreeing and like there's only me and my brother and my father was inside and he was getting agitated and trying to ring us and so we were ringing every half an hour looking for updates which I thought was sensible enough to do like and then eventually I, I came up with the thing saying look I'm going to take my mother out and ring an ambulance as, as a normal citizen out in the street and then a person at the, at the reception nearly agreed, you know what I mean, saying, mm. oh, she's doing to that, but mm. I said, you know, you're probably right, the ambulance mm. will come quicker because the red tape will be taken out because she's technically in the hospital even though they couldn't treat her for... Mm. So, like, that's just one example of a breakdown, like, you know, and then and then, and then, then when Mam eventually got an ambulance after, whatever, nine, ten hours, she, like, was brought in mm. with my father into any back into any... But nine to ten hours, and if it had been a stroke, irreparable damage would have been done in that period yeah, of time. It would have been... Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like that, that's a complete breakdown. You know, that's just as one example. And then, and then as well, to, to be brought back into any uh, with my father again, and then, and then I, I can't remember the exact time, but it was at least 18 hours longer. She, the whole night, she had stage four cancer at this stage in her bones. So... No proper pain management. Like that's that's barbaric. So after eight hours, the ambulance did arrive and took your ma'am to the A and E at the Mercy. Was it? Yeah. yeah. And was she yeah. admitted straight away, or was there a wait? In no, the no, 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 no. At least at least about eighteen hours. It. Eighteen hours. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I I, I could I, like at the time like we could you know with COVID time and it's it's, it's probably still the same in hospitals now, but. 
we were outside myself and my brother, you know, and you should imagine that was very distressing, like, and then my father was, was inside with her, and the woman, you know, that was sitting on a trolley, like, stay, that's stage four cancer, like, it's not, it's just not right, like, you know, no, no proper management. No. It's not, not a dignified manner to treat somebody who's no, uh, very no, unwell, no. dying, if yeah. you like, elderly. Yeah. And in need of help. Yeah, yeah. My mother, my mother at the time, was a strong woman. Like she was seventy at the time. Like, like, but like we, we then like we at this stage, no, like we were still kind of. I know, silly, know what to think, but like she had stage four cancer right, in her bones, right? But we were being told, like, up to mum getting kind of, kind of unwell at that stage, that that there was still kind of chances that you know you could be a few years yeah. when it's in the bones and all that kind. Of, we were always trying to look at the positive. She was at, just after finishing kind of treatment and stuff like that, you know. So yeah. we were we were we were still kind of hopeful that that would have been around for a while, like yeah. you know. But and then and then we were brought in like mom, when mom did get into the hospital, right? Like I know I know there was COVID and all that and 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 stuff like that. So when she was in there, then we. She deteriorated a bit, and they said, "Or actually, it's not a stroke. It's we were brought into the room with the consultant, and he said, look, lad, this actually, you know, it's after spreading to to your mother's head and stuff like that.' So, so, you know, a massive shock. But then, what, what? Just like I have to take a half to highlight this now because we've spoken about it a number of times. Fact, in that room, then we were told that, um, or the best place your mother know is Marymount, and we were like, okay, that's. That's sound sense, sensible to me. And then, like, what we were subsequently taught was, no, I don't know how that's going to work out with the incident out in Marymount. Now, the incident was me ringing every half an hour. I don't know about you, Neil, but if your mother was sitting inside, uh, subsequently having a stroke in a hospital that couldn't treat her, I think ringing, ringing every half an hour looking for an update was was not. No, I don't. I don't, th- I don't think I'd be sitting on my hands either. No, I don't. No. No, so I think like that's like that. I thought that was an appalling thing to say. And basically, I just stood up then in the meeting. We had representing from Marymount to there as well. And I'm not here on the back because I know Marymount and all these people that they do amazing work. But it was just from our experience. I said, "Are you telling me no?" Because I was a boy boy that my mother's going to be like. You're, you're, it was almost like a threat. You know what I mean? We don't know what's going to happen now because of the of the. Of the incident, there was no incident. You know what I mean. It was yeah. just literally looking yeah. for information. No, no aggressive tones. No nothing. Just saying, look, this is ridiculous. You know what I mean. If she's having a stroke, we need to get her there and stuff like that. Like, and then, like, there was a lot of other incidents, even with care issues. Like, I'll be honest with you, know, like I, I documented a lot of them, right? And I will. I just don't really know what to care issues. Care issues where? Uh, when, when eventually, when when Mam was in 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 the Mercy Hospital, right? Like, there was a couple of times. No, for instance. We knew at this stage that man was dying, right? So we had to fight our corner to get in. Myself, my brother, stayed or you know, and 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 and, uh, and you know, with COVID and all that. Eventually, we got around that because there was different rules for different wards, which I could never understand. It's a one blanket rule for the whole place. That's different. But I used to see people walking around the hospital and stuff like that we were being told we couldn't get in and all that. But we eventually got around that, or we got in. But a couple of times, like I'll give you an example, only like. My mother developed sores in her mouth, right? Which is, I know, I know there's people like to go through anything like this. It's, it's not, it's not a nice thing, right? Because, it, especially at those final stages. But like, uh, just an example, because uh, I, I was looking through just briefly some of the healthcare issues I have in my in my phone, right? I have a little note, notes taken, right? And this is just one of them. Like, a night nurse would they that get you to leave a room, they turn your my mother and all that kind of stuff, and then it was down like. To, to clean her mouth because she'd get sores, you know what I mean, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then she, when I came out, 
I went into the room and my mother was kind of, you know, mumbling a bit like, and I said, you're so strong. And she said, I'm out. And then I just went out and I said, oh, I said, oh, did you clean her mouth? And then she said, oh, oh I did, yeah. Like, it was just very abrupt, kind of like, mm. you know, and then, and then uh, I said, oh, she's looking to change her pillow. And it's very dismissive, you know what I mean? She came into the room. What's wrong with you? Shall we change her pillow? Or, you, know, mm. you, you can't say that to someone. And then, and then when I went outside, I asked the healthcare system, I said, did she clean her mouth? And she, was, she said she didn't. So that's why I followed up the thing and I said, Why say you, you did it? something when you didn't do it? Why not just do it? Look, where's it's the dignity? Like, like, you have to it, have a... It, you have to me, yeah, it's just... It's, I think that's bad, bad. Like, so, so, letting someone have sores in their mouth, you know, at the final stages of... Like, and this person, now was a mature person in her job, right? But it just looks to me like they're so unhappy in their work. Like, because we spent a lot of time in the hospital last year, you know, and you can see the pressure. There's young staff coming in. They've been spoken to abruptly by their superiors, their supervisors, their management. There's a complete breakdown. Like, they have values up in the wall. I, I forget the values. But I remember looking at the values a couple of times and saying, you're not adhering to your values yeah, there. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just... If it was an but it's far from it. ideal for them, you see, and they're probably beaten down by overwork and pressure and not being able to deal with they everybody. Are, they are, like, I don't know how I, many I, other I, patients that nurse who didn't swab your mother's mouth actually has to do. I'm exactly, not making excuses exactly. for her because people at the yeah. end of life need to have the most dignity, amount treated with yeah. dignity and sympathy and respect. Yeah, it's just like that's 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 the way, and that's the way it always was. Like from my, from from what I'm hearing from people that have been around a lot younger than me, that that's the way the hospital system used to work. But it, it appears to me between between the pressure they're under, I also feel that there's possibly some some people in the role now today where it's maybe not a call and, and it's just maybe a career that they're in. And, yeah, and some people said that yesterday. Have. Also, you observing people yeah. in in patient care that shouldn't have be in that job or that profession. Yeah. Yeah, like it's yeah. It's, look, I suppose look and look that 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 was just a couple of examples. Like I, okay. I, I don't know, maybe I don't think I'm being petty here. Like I think they're fairly big things that two I've even called out. Like there's 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 it's 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 you know it's dignity. Like at, at that stage of well, the, the worry like, here is what you observed because many people wouldn't yeah. be in a position to observe the treatment of an elderly loved one. They don't exactly. know if they're getting the proper yeah. care and attention yeah. behind closed doors. And there was plenty more, like, 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 there was there was examples too of, like, you know, not far off negligence, because, like, I remember my father, know, was dealing with all his medication, right? And there was times where, well, we had to double and triple check things, like, because you you had nurses, like, oncology nurses calling in for, they're, they're under savage pressure, I get all that, right? But calling in for unnecessary appointments, like, I'd said to my father, know, father, dad, can you just double check that, like, and he'd double check it, and then, it would be, oh yeah, we, we she doesn't need to come in for that appointment. I mean, when someone's going through chemo or going through their energy levels are very, very low, to be calling for unnecessary appointments, mm. that's just all, it's just, it's all silly stuff, you know, but it's all just, they're all, they, they, they're just all over the place when you're going down. And, you ha- and, and, and it's dangerous as well with medication and stuff like that, getting things wrong. Like, that's the other thing, like, where, where I don't listen briefly yesterday, like, if you, and what I often came back to, right, is we were lucky, right, in one sense. My mother was lucky that she had my father, right, he was like a full time carer for the last year before, up until she passed away, and my mother's sister, right, and two sons that were fighting the corner, right, mm. doubling, ch- checking things and ringing and looking for updates. If you were a person like that, that, you know, sometimes, not every family, some people have kids that are 
not around, they're away, they're, do you know what I mean? They're, they're maybe up the country, they're away. Yeah, some or, people or, don't, or, 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 never had kids and they die alone or, no or their partners it could, be, it could be a man, yeah, yeah it could be, you know, a man coming up from, from, from West Cork up in his own for the day just to get treatment or someone I know or, or just being brought into hospital, no one fighting their corner. I actually often thought of that and I've seen a couple of cases of in the hospital where I've seen people on their own, like, and this is COVID times, calling out for people and eventually I actually often just came out and went into a person even though I was COVID times you're not supposed to do, do you know and I just said are you okay or do you know because I, I, I spent so much time I just saw so many different breakdowns now and, and that was last year like mm. it's just do you mind me asking then uh, Paddy did your man pass away at home or was it Marymount no we, we see we never we never went back to Marymount then like we, we when my mother my mother was only in Marymount I'd say 24 hours when so she was had it, a kind of a, was it at home yeah. then yeah were you all with her no it, it was Mercy in the Mercy Hospital yeah yeah, yeah. and we we like look um, thankfully we we got in like you know but there was there was fighting for that as well like and then like and then being told that the best place for a man was Marymount but we didn't know if we were going to get in because of the incident and all this kind of stuff and then we just didn't Bothers moving her then, you know. Even though uh, I felt that you, you got the impression in. that you would be denied a bed in Marymount because you called too often regarding the ambulance. A hundred percent, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. And that was said not just by not just by um, there was Marymount presence and in the meeting, and, and it was by the consultant as well. And he, he probably was like I I did get kind of irate at that stage. I spoke up then saying this is absolutely outrageous. Like that's your that's your going to punish my mother for because it was me that was ringing every half an hour you know I wasn't being aggressive I wasn't being I was just I was getting a, a bit of rate in the phone I was saying this is absolutely outrageous if she's having a stroke or whatever she needs to like you know you're in a hospital set and then they were like I said can you not treat her there and we don't have the facilities and all this kind of stuff and then when I was coming into the porters and stuff like you know I was asking them saying like what's, what's going on like you know like Oh, the and then I was eventually told what was happening. The ambulance were being yeah. No, I can understand. You, I and understand why you would have been worked up. Of course, you would. You're her yeah. son. Yeah. Obviously, you yeah. were very upset yeah. for him. <sighs> okay. Yeah. No, look. I suppose Thanks. look. I just want all I wanted to highlight is that there, there there's a there's a breakdown of like, and I do think that that there is a lack of empathy as well at, at times, which I think is was never a case of in a hospital setting before. Like, and and like that was just an example of. Of, of one night nurse like, and there's a pop just there was there's, there's, yeah there's other, and, and, and other, listen it's important that you share stories like that absolutely I don't not, uh, but is, yeah. I, this is not an, in, at all to to bash staff or to it's bash not, porters not, or nurses or doctors no no, um, no. You know, but I think it needs to be highlighted and, and I, I wouldn't mind finding out how do you not, not for any any kind of benefit of it like just so this doesn't happen to someone else you know what I mean that's all I would be looking for that someone does someone else doesn't have to go through some of that kind of Okay. You know, okay. it's harrowing. Like when your mother, you know, when you're watching your mother like that, it's very, it's, she's very vulnerable know, and frail. Of course, it is harrowing watching, yeah. and you feel almost yeah. helpless. Potty, thanks yeah. so much for taking the call. No Look after yourself. All right. All right, mate. Thank For you. yesterday's Thanks. program, the nurses, uh, Robert, people were talking about, you know, we, we don't clap the postman for delivering the mail. Uh, the nurses did sign up for the job and we love them for it, but they didn't sign up for the conditions and the hours they work under and the high rents they pay, as well as the verbal and physical abuse they're subjected to. We can't just say, that's the job you signed up for. That's just wrong. Uh, morning, if I was a nurse, I'd tear the hospital down. But then again, I could never be a nurse. I could never do a job like that. I think it's disgusting the way that man on air spoke about nurses and healthcare workers. Does he think not think nurses 
This is from yesterday. Does he not think nurses wouldn't love to turn the hospital upside down to get an elderly patient a bed? It's not the nurse's fault that there are no, no beds up along the hospital. It's completely out of their control. I'd love to see him work a day in nurse's shoes. He wouldn't be comparing it to clapping for the postman. This is an angry, upset A&E nurse. I wonder, as an angry, upset A&E nurse, how you'd feel about a consultant uh, telling uh, Brendan, uh, don't be talking to the media, or maybe don't be talking to the likes of me. We need to keep these things in-house. Um, you know, does that make you more angry and upset, I wonder? Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Uh, back to the phone lines we go because he's been waiting a long, long time. Tim, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. How, how, you fe- how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Um, I'm okay. I suppose I'm just taking it day by day now at the moment. Okay, lightheadedness, shortness of breath, weakness, fatigue, coughing, feeling yeah. as if you're going to faint, spending most of the time in the bed, is it? Um, I suppose I'm kind of out of the bed every day. I suppose I'm just making myself get up, get out of bed and just try and live every day as I would have, regardless of the symptoms. But it's just difficult. Long COVID, baby. Yeah. Um, no, I've been to I've been to GPs, I've been to hospitals, and I have asked the question about long COVID, and I, I've been told every time that it's not long COVID. What is it so? It's not that. No, no. But that that's that's the question I suppose I've been asking because I have I have a load of tests done. I've had CT scans. I've had MRIs. I've had bloods taken, I've had my heart checked out from a cardiologist, everything has showed up that everything is fine. All right. have, you, do you, have you got like uh, irregular heartbeats, palpitations and I, stuff like that? Um, I suppose one of the symptoms at this, when this began was I did have heart palpitations. Now, thankfully, they've actually eased off and I don't really have them anymore. That's the only symptom that has eased off. So what's now, the worst symptom? I suppose the worst symptom is the lightheadedness because w- with the lightheadedness, every time I go to take a step when I'm walking, it feels like I'm actually going to faint. No, you don't drive, do you? Um, I suppose I'm not driving at the moment, no. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, did you get COVID at some stage? I had COVID back in January and I suppose these symptoms slowly started off maybe in March, let's say. I suppose when I had COVID in January, it was fairly mild. In January, I suppose, all these symptoms kind of started off small bits, bit by bit, but nothing that bothered me. But over time, they progressed to a stage where it's after coming on really heavy now and just preventing me from living my day-to-day life, I suppose, as best as I normally would. Do you go into work or anything, or what do you do? Um, I was working, I suppose. I finished now, but I was working at the time, and that would involve being on my feet all day. And there was days where I'd actually have to come home from work because I just physically wasn't able yeah, I want to talk to you for a few different reasons. One is your own story, yeah. but others to see if it rings a bell with other people. I was chatting yeah. from time to time with a girl on the phone, been doing other work with her on a different on-air topic, and she's had long COVID for at least a year now. And uh, in fact, she was due on air with me recently and couldn't because she just didn't have the breath in her lungs to chat. She gets okay. up for she gets up for maybe maximum three or four hours a day. The rest of it is in bed. You're That's terrible. You're forcing yourself to get up, are you? I am, yeah. Now, um, I suppose the one thing with the symptoms, I was always kind of okay in the morning. It always came on heavy in the evening, but with the last couple of weeks, 
it's literally from the moment I wake up in the morning to night time, it's there, it doesn't go away and it just seems to be getting worse as the days go on. So with all of those tests and everything that they've done, the podding, the, the prodding, the poking, the yeah. the x-rays, the, you know, I think you said you saw a cardiologist, the CT scan, the MRIs and everything, did bloods, they, they can't, they can't give it can't. a name. No, they can't detect anything, um, unfortunately. Now, I suppose in one sense, it's a good thing that a lot of those came back clear, which is obviously good, but at the same time, it leaves me with no answers and it feels like I'm just getting worse by the day, like I said. So it's just kind of frustrating more than anything. Yeah, so there's a test for COVID, but there's not a test for long long COVID, so there's not? No, not that I'm aware of anyway. But they won't call it long COVID, is it? Um, that That's the impression that I'm getting anyway, Neil. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it taken seriously as a condition medically, do you think? Um, I suppose, I suppose, Neil, they don't really know enough about it yet. Maybe that could be the problem, I suppose, to diagnose someone with long COVID, maybe, because I suppose they're still gathering data as we speak. Um, and that might be an issue as well. Like they can't, I, As far as I'm aware, they can't really say you have long-term COVID because they're only just working off the data that they have currently gathered over the last year or two. Yeah, yeah. And um, have they said, have you given you a time scale as to when this will pass? Uh, no, no, they haven't. Um, like, I suppose, seeing as they haven't said it's long-term COVID, they're still trying to think of tests, other things to do, think outside the box. They've done an awful right, lot, haven't they? The ECG, I, chest I, I, X-rays and everything? I have, I suppose, because even though it came on in March, it came on really heavy in about the end of May, start of June, and from there... I suppose it started worrying me a bit more and from there I've just been I've been up and down to A&E to doctors and to everything just with the hopes that someone can figure something out yeah yeah. But, have you, what, what, have you any brain fog? I do have brain fog as well um, do you forget your line that, do you forget your train of train of thought? I do occasionally it's not that bad but I do occasionally I've noticed do forget the train of thought what happens you're in the middle of a conversation what happens? No, like I suppose if if we're trying to recall um, maybe topics or situations or anything that have happened in the past, it just I just can't think. It's just like blank. I just can't remember whatever it is. Just yeah. for and it, it's frustrating, you know. There are long COVID clinics in the UK. Did you know that? Is there anything like that here? Um, I think that as far as I'm aware, I think there's one in Dublin. And I think they were supposed to start one in Cork, but I don't know if that's actually after beginning or not yet. And what do they say that it will pass in time? Is it? Well, I, I, I've, um, I'm actually waiting on a list there. To be honest, Neil, the one in Dublin to be seen. Now I don't know how long it's going to take to be seen, but, um, but so I can't actually answer that as of yet. What's your worry that you could have lung damage or heart damage or something serious like that? Um, to be honest, Neil, I haven't the first clue as to what I could have. I, I suppose there are things would go through my head. Now, the doctors would say that, look, the serious things have been ruled out, that you're fine. But I know at the same time, if this is ongoing every day, it can't be good for someone either at the same time. And would you, it, the, this call is to see if other people are feeling the same and what they've done about it. It is, yes, okay. exactly. Just okay. to see if, just to shed a bit of light on it, maybe. Okay, fair play. All right. Out of time for now, Tim, but let's see if somebody can share or give advice or direction for you, okay? Yeah, that's no worry. I suppose I was just going to say that, um, unfortunately, because of this, I was supposed to go to Australia yesterday, oh. but I've had to put that on hold now as well. 
Um, so I suppose I'm just putting everything on hold just till I get answers because obviously not feeling well enough to do anything. Right. Were you leaving the country or was it a holiday? No, I was going leaving. Why? Yeah. Um, I suppose I just wanted, um, I suppose when the symptoms came on in March, I actually had this booked before then. What were you planning to do there? Uh, I suppose just go out on a working holiday visa, just um, tour around, pick up jobs here and there. I suppose just exper- get experience, I suppose. Oh, so it, it's it's to, to 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 do a bit of travelling as opposed to out of desperation. Yes, yeah. travelling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a shame. You've had to put that on hold. That's a shame. It is. Yeah. It is. Yes. Unfortunately, but like I said, um, I just wouldn't be feeling well enough for yeah, it. I know. I know. I know. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Hang in there, Tim. Let's see if anybody else has uh, any advice or direction they can give you because uh, it certainly is an issue for people. Uh, it really and truly is. Um, we'll pick it up after 10, but thanks for your call. Text 0868104106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Bernadette says, uh, 83 hours now, uh, Brendan's uh, mother was on a trolley in the A&E. We like to keep this in-house. The public health service is not fit for purpose and has been the case for years now. Lack of capacity and staff shortages means public hospitals are just unable to cope. It has never recovered from the cutbacks through the years of austerity. Successive governments focus on the privatisation of services and has created the shambles that it is with the direct impact on people like this lady, says Bernadette. The problems within the health system have been there long before uh, austerity or the collapse after the Celtic Tiger. I mean, I recall it back in the early 90s, uh, and that's not today nor yesterday. Indeed, it's over 30 years ago and probably longer if I choose to remember. Um, So I think uh, it just was made an awful lot worse with cutbacks. There's an interesting statistic that it was sent. Uh, Here's a fact, Neil. In 2001, there were 21,000 hospital beds in this country. In 2022, there are 14,000 hospital beds. Guess who was the minister uh, for a long period, as in uh, Micheál Martin. Uh, So hospital beds halved. And what do you think is going to be the result of having hospital beds? Just to let you know, the Micheál Martin was down in Bantry General Hospital yesterday morning for the opening of the extension of the local injuries unit. It's been cleaned from top to bottom. You could eat your dinner off the floor in Bantry ahead of his visit. So much cleaning done for him. It was an absolute joke. He should be brought in to see it when the trolleys are in the corridors. I wonder will he call to the CUH on his way back to Dublin. Yeah, would they ever call unannounced, actually, I wonder. Uh, then they'd really see it for what it is. Uh, my dad was left in the waiting area with chest pains in the CUH back in 2012. His heart stopped while waiting so long, and he couldn't be revived. If they'd looked after him earlier, I wonder always, would he have survived? That is just absolutely tragic. Left in the waiting area with chest pains, heart stops, and he dies. That is tragic. Um, a lot of other texts then to 86 106 What happened to your mother, as in 83 hours in the trolley, is unbelievable. My mother was treated in the A&E lately, um, and she was looked after, but the treatment she received in the ward was frightening. The nurse here was shameful uh, with regards to the treat- treatment. I'm not sure whether the nurse was ashamed of it or the nurse was shameful. Uh, But John says we eventually just discharged her ourselves. My mother had a similar experience last year. She was left waiting in the A&E on a chair until a bed was ready for her. This was very distressing for my mother and for us, the family too. We were very worried. I don't believe any of this is the fault of the clinical staff at the hospitals. They're working tirelessly to provide 
uh, a right first-time response in an overburdened and exhausted service. I don't know what the solutions are, but I have seen firsthand, despite the conditions and the crowds, the staff continue to try and deliver outstanding patient care. My mother's back in hospital. She spent the last few weeks in ICU at the CUH. The staff are phenomenal. The clinical and personal care they've provided my mother is second to none and has saved her life. They're compassionate, competent and caring. I can't thank them enough for everything they're doing for my mother. And they're not, they don't only care for her, but also have shown kindness and care to us as her family. The service at times is undoubtedly fractured, but the people, the staff, the carers are resilient, tired, needed, burdened, but continue to show up to provide care for those that need it most. I'm grateful for all they do. Our government is to wake up and invest in our health service, prioritise once and for all the health of our country. Stop paying big wigs huge amounts of money to pretend they know what they're doing. Get the nurses and healthcare assistants who actually know what the real day-to-day challenges are and get them to help resolve the situation. We can't keep making the same mistakes. People's lives are too important, says Miriam. Well, unions represent on behalf of nurses all of the time and they're constantly talking about how improvements could be made and a lot of it has to do with pay and conditions. It always is though, isn't it? You see the UK now, everyone's going on strike. Everyone like I mean, it's insane the amount of people within the public sector that are threatening strikes in the UK. Uh, having been there myself for 27 hours in a chair and having to ask for pain relief three times and then when you're seen, you're very lucky if you get a minute or two with one doctor. Friday night of June bank holiday, only to be referred back to your doctor. It was a wasted visit. Um, I go to the vet before I go back there again, says Claire. And there's lots more like that. I'll jump, I'll jump in and out in the course of the morning. Get involved in the conversation. Text 0868104106. Just very quickly, with regards to those couple of uh, of uh, shells that were found down Court Mac Sherry Way, I want to have a quick chat with Sean O'Farrell. He might have the backstory to it. Sean, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, you were also the coxman with the RNLI down that way. So was it was it you guys retrieved it or what, the two bombs? No, there's uh, there's dredging going on at the moment where the pon- around the pontoon area. Uh, in the harbour and uh, the dredging more or less finished itself uh, last week but these were uh, there was a big heap of spoil and little fields next to the, the harbour and these were dredged up and were part of that spoil and when the lads were working on it on Monday they discovered it so evidently they'd been there for the weekend Oh my god I thought they spotted it they actually dredged it up Yes they dredged it up yeah Mother of God, they, if if there had been explosives in it, they could have gone off. Oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> and anybody, yeah. anybody, anybody work out what kind of damage that would have done? No, uh, not that I know, but we're not even sure if there were, uh, was explosive in them. Or no, there wasn't, the as it turns just, out. The examiner this morning yeah. reporting it was free from explosives, but they might have been. They might have been, yeah. I mean, yeah, um, but are they the only ones there? We don't know. And how did they get there? Any idea? Well, the only thing I can think of is uh, uh, on the pier during the First World War, of course, you had a, the train, you just come down to the pier and uh, you had a Coast Guard station here. So maybe they were supplying uh, ships and munitions from the, the railway uh, to ships and maybe one or two of these things went overboard and seen as there wasn't explosives and then nobody took too much notice. Yeah, yeah, and indeed been impossible to retrieve them whether they had explosives or not in them, I suppose. We're talking about at least 100 years ago, First World War territory, right? That's exactly it, yeah. So you're dead right, you might, they mightn't have had the wherewithal to, to retrieve them at the time. 
Isn't it amazing? Because the Examiner article is saying this morning that many, many thousands and thousands of boats would have passed over those two for the last century um, and uh, unsuspecting of what was beneath. They did a controlled explosion, I believe. Where, where did they do that? Do you know, Sean? Yes, they did. Uh, a little area called Broad Strand, which is just on the west or on the the western side of the village here, um, and uh, they just uh, put up an ex- exclusion zone, got people to leave their houses and all the rest of it, and carried out their. Uh, I think they took three explosions or something, and nothing was evident after that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how they 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 came to the conclusion that there wasn't anything in it. But um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean. We don't know. There's, I mean, there's all, sure, all sorts of historical records are no longer available for what was going on. But just the, the sheer Canada. size of them, 130 kilograms, like that's big. You know, you think yeah, somebody might weigh 75, yeah. 80, 85 kilograms, you know. Yes. Big yes. bombs. Uh, uh, and a big bang, I would think. Yeah. But uh, if it was full of explosives. But oh, yeah, um, I, I saw a, a, a little clip of a video and there was you know, uh, they were trying to manhandle one of these and it was taking three guys, uh, you know, uh, all their effort to move over these things. So, Amazing, yeah. isn't it? Okay. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, yeah. Rem- a reminder of years gone by. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we don't know what else is down there. You certainly don't. <laughs> you see that see that story this morning, the fellas on the, <laughs> the inflatable mattress off Dingle. I think Valen- I think Valencia went out to them, not you guys. Valencia went out. They bought yeah. an inflatable mattress in a supermarket apparently. Two of them got up on it and out they went to sea. I mean, God. That's a that's an awful waste of time, isn't it? That kind of carry on. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, that just doesn't surprise me anymore because uh we had one just a couple of weeks ago. Uh reported a boat on fire when it out and somebody had set fire to a big bale of hay and rolled it into the water. I mean, what's and the sense in that, time, like? <laughs> no, but it, it costs a lot of money. It you does. Know, yeah. every, every one of these uh, responses costs a lot. We average, I think about about 3,000 euro per show to, if you work it out over the lifetime of the boat. And did anybody know? ask them, what are they doing with the bale of hay on fire on the tide? <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, there's a, they evidently set fire to it, rolled it down a field. And it went into the water. Oh, it was actually a bale of hay. It wasn't even a craft. No, oh, just a bale of hay. But of course, at night time, when it's, you see something on fire. Totally. Uh, I totally yeah, get what yeah. you're saying. It was a boat on yeah. fire as far as people were concerned. Exactly. All right, my man. Listen, continued success on the great work you do. Thanks for the update from uh, from Court Mac this morning. Mind yourself. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. As always, Sean O'Farrell of the RNLI. Text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. We'll come back to all of that. In other news, lads, we're coming off the air on Friday and uh, Seamus was contacted by tenants of a city centre property. They're in a house um, which they were given through Cork City Homeless Services and that is an affiliate of Cork City Council and City Hall. So there are four tenants in this particular property, all of them with uh, disabilities. Now, one of them has cerebral palsy, another has Asperger's and ADHD, and a third has uh, epilepsy. All right. And the fourth suffers from severe depression. So they have issues going on in their lives. They all live together and they just clip along and muddle along together. And they were given until um, yesterday, I think. Possibly Sunday, was it? Maybe until this 
They were told on Friday and they were given until Sunday uh, to move. They were told, you're out. You're going to bed and breakfast accommodation. Uh, they've been in the property now for over two years. Um, as we speak now, there are three still remaining on site in the property and a fourth has taken up the offer of the alternative accommodation, which I believe is a bed and breakfast accommodation. Um, we were in touch with many of the players involved in this. Uh, City Council gave a response where they said the property isn't owned by them. Uh, and that the occupants are being offered continued emergency accommodation. Now, they were in their own place, Copley Place, their home in Copley Place. So we got onto the estate agents for that property, and they say that they never issued any eviction notice. They weren't requested to issue an eviction notice. They say that the property is leased by the owner through the estate agents directly to homeless services, and it's homeless services who decide uh, tenants and who the property will be leased to and rented to. Um, so, from where I am, it seems as if homeless services, as in City Hall, have told them, you're out of the house and you're going to bed and breakfast. Now, the residents believe that they're being told that they have to go to, to free up space for a family in need, whomever that family would be, and I'm sure they are in need. Uh, but uh, Seamus then travelled on Friday afternoon and met with those tenants. They're being supported by Community Action Tenants Union, CATU. It's a group who support communities and tenants and renters and everybody else who find themselves in precarious housing situations. Now, there were four residents when, when Seamus was there. He spoke to two of the residents. Uh, a third declined, just wasn't up for the conversation. I think he also spoke to some various relatives as well. Um, ha- have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Nice to meet you. We have no right, you know, which we do. It's their rule, their way or no way. And how long are you here? Here, two years, just over two years. And when did they give you your walking papers? Yesterday. Yesterday. So that's the letter, but that's not the, that doesn't state that you need to quit. It doesn't give us any time. They went over this morning and I met him this morning to go in with him. Yeah. The guy over there didn't, he, he didn't want to speak to me. And then while I go on the phone, he said, I'm only speaking with Jamie, I'm not speaking with you. But you're Jamie's mother, I am. You? I said yeah. I'm his mother, his next to kin, and I was also his carer for years. Made him aware he was in special needs school years ago. He's ADHD, Asperger's, he suffers with depression. It, it, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. And there's other people here in the same position. There's one with cerebral palsy. There's another guy with epilepsy and has mental health issues that he, yeah, he's taken medication for. Surely they would have had to follow the letter of the law because you're here two years yeah, now. Yeah. They'd yeah. have to exactly. give you the we have the right well, notice period. Right as, as citizens, I can only mean the guy then that he's supposed to go to the BNP too. I rang the guy, yeah. asked him what's the setup. Basically, it's a bedroom with a bed, no okay. visitors, no washing machine, no cooker, after mm-hmm. two years locked him. And the B&B guy then told me, yeah, oh no, he said, we, I'm not insured to take, a, to take anyone in like that. Right, I presented homes two years ago and I refused to go into the asylum because I was there previously six months mm-hmm. on and off, you know, uh, in around a load of heroin users and all this crack. Uh, which wasn't good for my mental health only that I was working and yeah I had to present to Mr. there again two years ago so I ended up in the Vincent's over there for a week Grand just kept my head down came and went and what have you you know kept the head down instead of me room Grand week later I was put over there I, I wasn't and how did you find it here? 
I love her. I genuinely love her. Me and all the lads, we get along great. The house is on fire, but we get along all right, you know? Um, yeah, we might be suffering with yeah, mental health problems or but whatever, you know? yeah. We all help each other, you know? Yeah, and you're able to cook and feed yourself yeah. here. Yeah, we can't, we, we can't do that in the B&B, in the box room. We can't do that. No, no you're just not in there, no visitor. And when you came in here two years ago, you were in the impression that this is your forever home. Yeah, the way, the, well, the way it was made out to me. He was yeah. getting huh? proper comment, he thought like he'd get a um, place out there. Yeah. Yeah. Since so I'm here, um, I found out about three or four months ago that I'm not on the council list at all. No, that can't be right because he wouldn't get in here you know? as a tenant unless he was on the list. Yeah. So I don't know what that's about. They have a lot of explaining to Like I know Linda, a lot of people listening to this will turn around and say, you're Jamie's mother, how come you can't take him in? He or said no he space? told me to take him in because uh, about five weeks, weeks ago my daughter had to move uh, back to Cork with my grandchild and I, ha I have them living with me at the moment. Okay, so the, the, the house is at capacity? Well, it, yeah, basically, they'd probably tell you that, that I have four bedroom homes. Mm -hmm. But I have a big family. I can't, I can't handle Jamie and then being in around my grandchild. Yeah. Like, she had, she's, there's, there's a lot going on with my daughter at the moment. Okay, we won't, we won't go into that. No. But, like, the idea is that Jamie stands on his own two feet and he's independent. Well, he's here. And yeah. we're, we we yeah. still keep an eye on Jamie here in his yeah. own place. And I call him to him, I'd have coffee, whatever, and we might take a walk up to deals or something, pass an hour or two for him. Yeah. He's central here and they want, they want to put him into a room now and... It's he's not going to last in there. Yeah. Cooped up in a little room with a bed. What's going to happen if I have to leave the beam beam? Hmm? Back to square one. Back yeah. to the back oh, to room so number one. Yeah, back on the streets. Basically, yeah. back on the streets and back in in, in their uh, so-called care. So where are you finding yourself now? Are you like? Right. You've got that letter, but it, to me, it, it doesn't. It just tells a call over to the office. It doesn't tell me that you're be, you're being evicted. No, it doesn't say. It doesn't give us a time frame. Oh, you need to pack up your stuff. None of this. I was told tonight. I have to go to the B and B tonight and stay there tonight. Huh? And are you going to do that? You can I'm not, because I'm, not, uh, I'm going to do the furthest thing from that. I'm going to stay where I am. Do you know, what? I'm happy here. I, I was getting better with my mental health, you know, mm -hmm. the last couple of days, really. And now I just, I, I had the feeling there was good, because usually when I'm on the rise bad, they come in to bring me back down. Yeah. And yeah, it's 39. When he turned 16, that was a case of open minded disability, blah, blah. He hasn't been assessed or anything okay. in the last few years. Jamie doesn't understand the importance of getting these things done. A simple thing like go post a letter could take Jamie. I'm not doing it. I can't do that. Yeah. Simple things are debilitating for him. He's well able to talk down into the, in an hour's time there now he might not he'll be just on the ground again. Uh, so you're from where? The Tenants Union, Community Action Tenants Union. Okay. So we were just called down to help them. 
There's a few of us here from the union. And are you going to stay here with them? We're going to stay here, yeah, as long as we can, till it's sorted for the tenants. And do you do a lot of this? Activism? We do. Yeah, we represent tenants. Like that's our, you know, that's our function. Um, so essentially, we're a union that represents tenants, like renters, homeowners, against landlords, against property developers, against mortgage companies, and in this case, against the council, who are mistreating people and not fulfilling their legal obligations and putting people in bad conditions, and you know, in this case, potentially making people homeless. You know, um, and what do you make of the the way this has been done? Like it, I, I've seen a letter there, but I've seen it, the letter. I wouldn't call it a letter. It's you know, it's a completely unprofessional. It's completely. It just looks. It looks ridiculous. It's not formatted properly. It's not a binding document. It doesn't give enough time. It doesn't give enough notice. It doesn't mm-hmm. meet any of the obligations. And I mean, these are the people. These are the bodies that are supposed to be making and enforcing the laws, and they're not even doing it properly. You know, um, and our job here is to come in as fellow tenants and make sure that people's rights are respected and that people's needs are met. And are you coming across a lot of this? A lot. It's epidemic. It's everywhere. You know, life conditions are getting worse and worse. Rents are going up. Wages aren't. So people are struggling more and more. People are being forced into homelessness. And our view is that nobody has to be homeless. Yeah. That if we work together and, you know, if you're, anyone here is listening and has any issues with their tenancy, get on to us, you know, Catu Cork. Uh, we deal with community issues as well, so we can help people, you know, people have issues with the council with their local infrastructure, that's something we address. We're doing a lot of outreach in Mayfield, in fact, if you're in the Mayfield area, that's get on to us especially, that's what we're targeting at the minute. And, like, have you had much success in the, in, in the kind of evictions and, and things like that? Yeah, we've resisted several evictions and one and stopped. my own case, I was nearly evicted in October by a landlord who wanted to turn the place into an Airbnb and gave us less than a week's notice. And the union showed up and made sure we weren't violently removed from the home and gave us enough time to get into safe accommodation. And that alone can be a win. Like our main job is to make sure that nobody loses shelter. The last time they tried to evict uh, you know, on this property, I got onto Trustwood. Um, I got onto a solicitor. And the solicitor, the solicitor stated the same thing. He said that they, they have to take legal action. They can't just force, or they can't change locks, they can't turn off the electricity because it's been classed as an illegal eviction. So, it's, they just have to take the legal action if they want Jamie but the big problem here is that they, they had Jamie in this property for two years and they did not move. The whole country is in a crisis. Then they're taking in the refugee, refugees. They're after running over places from, and this is probably going to be used for that. Well, we don't know. We would have to wait and see. Never going to Possibly. A big family or two families in here. You'd still think they'd have a little bit more respect for the tenants that they're putting out on the street. I mean, it's their fault. It's the council's fault. It is. They can house everyone. You know, we can house like Irish people. We can house refugees as well. But they just need houses. We can, everyone. yeah. But we can that's house it. everyone. You know, we can. There's very little to done to a lot of houses where yeah. where room we're in. Yeah, we, we we document a lot of their well, houses. Well, what, I, what I can't understand either is you've the council of one out there and they're building houses, brand new houses. Yeah. Whilst they're buying them off developers or whatever, but just like you fix fix the properties that are boarded up. Mm-hmm. They'll be half and build a new house. Yeah. You know, it's backwards they're going in. Michael, you're a tenant here in I am, yeah. You've got the same letter as the, as the lads. I did, yeah. yeah. And have you just come from a, a, APS now? Uh, no, I came back from there this morning. Uh, so when you went over this morning, what happened? What was the conversation like? Um, basically, she said they were taking the house back and I had to move out to the B&B. 
and that was that was it. I, I was given no reason or anything. You know, it was just they're going today, like you know. No official notice, no nothing. No, there was a letter, like I think it's a handwritten letter even, you know, it was just passed in through the letterbox. And but I saw that, is that the, this one here, but like that's yeah, not even on headed paper. Yeah, that's what and, I mean, and, you know, and it's, it, like, it, it, it's basically not even giving you, telling you you have X amount of days that were giving you your notice to quit. Yeah. No, yeah, it's just present yourself there in the morning and I did and that's what I was told, you know. So. And how does that make you feel? Uh, terrible, obviously, you know, it's like a massive step up, you know, I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm working at the moment, I'm going starting college in two weeks, you know, I'm trying to get everything I can do, you know, and just kicking the balls, like, you know, to be honest, like. So you're, you're trying to get another leg on the, on the, la- yeah. on the wrong of the ladder, and it's... Yeah, like, I've been working on and off all through this, like, you know, it's been about eight, nine years now, like, yeah. and... And have you been homeless for eight, nine years? Yeah. Just different services, the foyer, Vincent, Simon, all, all of that, like, you know, pretty much everything. And, like, we're meant to have key workers, everything. I haven't seen a key worker in about four years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just, they don't exist, you know. So it's just, um, I don't know, it's just a bit of a blow, like, out of nowhere. Do you know, maybe if they gave us a week here, you know, there's something happening, but it's just... The house itself is fine, like, you know, but it's but just... But it's not as if you're having house parties or... No, no, Jesus, not at all, like, you know. But, um... I don't know, it's something to do with their budget plans is the best explanation I got out of them. They just don't have the budget, yet I'm, I've heard, you know, they are moving other people in, you know, but they have budgets for other people or something. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. You know, there's no clarity with them. It's so what's the next plan for you? I don't know. Literally, everyone I've spoken to is telling me, don't move, don't, you know, they wouldn't and all this, but it's like, you know, it's just frightening, you know. I don't know if I'm going to be on the street one day or what if I don't, you know. It's like, I know... You know, I can't even speak with anyone. They won't tell me what's going on. They don't seem to know themselves, like. But they've given you an alternative, haven't they? Yeah, they gave me a B&B out in Western Road. Okay. But, um, like, I've been in B&Bs before, and, like, I don't want to go into a B&B for a year to be moved back into the Vincent's for another year, you know? It's like... What is it like living in a, in a B&B? Because, like, that's something that Jamie's looking down the barrel of a uh, barrel yeah. gun to. If, um, if he kind of decides that, yeah, I, I'm going to leave here after receiving this so-called notice. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, it's like, it's just like living in a cell, you know, and it's like constantly, it's just anxiety. Am I gone in the morning? Do you know, like like this now, it's just you, no notice, you're just moved around the place without any consideration or anything, you know, it's like... I'm so it's, it's just, is it that you're thrown out in the morning, do you get breakfast or...? Um, I, see, I don't know what services, I don't think, you don't get anything from the B&B, but I think if you need laundry, you can go back to the hostel, but okay. right in the Western Road, like we have to carry in laundry to go use, you know... So basically, once you wake up in the morning, you're out in the street until yeah. later that evening, is it? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you know, it's... It's not a good. It's not a good thing. Like the BMs, BMs themselves, you know, they'll be clean or whatever. It's just, it's not a good place mentally, you know, to be in. Especially, like when you're trying to put in work. Even Jamie, I think, you know, he's, he's working away, he's trying to get his things done, and it's like, it, it just seems pointless, you know. It's like, why would I even bother, you know? Uh, Linda was telling me that a lot of you have have some sort of a disability then as well, which yeah. is another added yeah, thing to your. Yeah, of course, I. That's through palsy myself, so I you know it's. 
it's, it's, it's manageable, it's difficult. For stress, uh, everything like this, you know, everything at once is it's not manageable. You know, I can deal with one thing at a time, but it's just not together, you know? Yeah, that's from Copley Street uh, on Friday afternoon. Uh, there's a lot of different players in this because when you talk of uh, homeless services in Cork, the first port of call is the Cork City Homeless Service uh, Forum, and the first port of Cork for that is through uh, City Hall. Uh, and that's how it works, homeless at corkcity.ie. Uh, so we did, uh, you heard Jamie's mother there claim that uh, they're being moved out to provide accommodation for a family fleeing war in the Ukraine, and that's why it's happening so quickly. Of course, there's no evidence to suggest that, uh, but with uh, some of this trail of paperwork that I've been looking through, and I'm open to a correction for many of the major players in this in this story of the four lads who've been evicted from their, their home uh, without any notice. It's been their home for two years on Copley Street. Uh, we got in touch with uh, City Council, t- telling them we'd been in number of residents currently living in Copley Place have been in touch. They said that they only got a few hours notice to quit, despite having been there for two years. They claim the alternative being offered isn't suitable. They all have disabilities. You heard the disabilities there. Cerebral palsy, Asperger's, ADHD, epilepsy and severe depression. But they're they're clipping along nicely themselves and getting on with their lives. Um, They did in the Vox, or at least one of their mothers, claim that they've been requested to leave to provide accommodation for a family fleeing the war in Ukraine. Now, um, I don't have any evidence to say that it is a Ukrainian family that are moving in there. I just don't. Uh, but Cork City Council said that uh, it's not owned by Cork City Council. It may not be owned by Cork City Council, but part of the services involved in this, you would have Cork City Council, you would have Simon, you would have Vincent de Paul. So apparently it was two members of the outreach section of St. Vincent de Paul who got in touch with the lads in Copley Street and they... Two girls from St. Vincent de Paul said to them that they had been contacted by Cork City Council who directed them uh, to make contact with the lads regarding their current accommodation. So it was Vincent de Paul had to give them the message from Cork City Council that they were out and going into B&B. So at this stage, they're still there and they have an organisation called Community Action Tenants Union, CATU, representing them. As to where this will go, I have no idea. We'll have to see how it plays out. They were happy enough, you know, do no harm to no man and living their lives and getting on with their lives as best they could in Copley Place. And we'll have to see how that one unfolds. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Uh, you keep going on about telling people to go to the chemist, to go to the pharmacy. These people going to A&E won't go to the pharmacy. They'll have to pay for something over the counter at the pharmacy, you see, uh, if they go for a prescription uh, with the medical card or they go to A&E, they will instead get it for nothing. Interesting perspective on that. Uh, a lot on Michael Collins. Uh, yesterday was the 100th anniversary of his killing. Uh, Bobby was there. He says you couldn't get near the front with the smell of civil servants and public service wages and pensions all up the front. Jobs for the cronies and their siblings. You're on about 72 hours on a trolley. Yeah, well, 83 in the end. One of the reasons is that there's always a job for the party lemming sons and daughters in their top heavy admin. If it's not their sons and daughters, it's their buddies and their cronies and their friends. Well, they told no lies at Bail in front of the podium at Bail The country works all right, if you're in Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, that is. A cabal that has hijacked this country's present, future and past. Do you think Collins would draw their wages with this shocking health system? 
You wouldn't my backside, it says Bobby. Um, morning, as you, as far as I know, the only person carrying a high-velocity rifle that Dr. Marie Cassidy spoke about on your program yesterday on the day that Collins was shot was a guy called Sonny O'Neill. But do you really think that any Irish family would ever say that it was my great-grandfather who shot Michael Collins? They would, yeah, says Desi. Uh, World War One is the very reason for Ireland getting some independence. Um, not Collins. The First World War shattered the British Empire and it started to break up after that. Well, it certainly helped, but absolutely Collins was front and centre in that, in, in uh, you know, getting a, a treaty and getting an agreement signed. Does the guy on the air know that Michael Collins was dead 14 years before Fine Gael was even ever formed? Yeah, I suppose really originally it would have been more likely to have been all of them within Sinn Féin, wouldn't it? You're right. All the countries you mentioned, and I mentioned a lot of them across Europe in a bad state, that we're not alone in this. Texture says, yes, they are all shagged. But like here, their politicians and their pals, just like Ireland, are doing okay. Thank you very much. If Michael Collins made it to a Cork hospital, he would still be alive, they say. But it took too long. That was in 1922. Today, he would have had no chance of living because he'd still be waiting to be seen by a doctor or could be outside in an ambulance, says Jean, waiting to get in. Bailnablaw was full of retired Fine Gael civil servants on massive pensions, all the people living off the taxpayer. A lot of texts on this. Um, and one or two more. I went down to Bailnablaw and just before the monument, there was a Garda squad. Um, yeah, um, and in God's name, stop giving airtime to clowns on your programme. Idiots talking about this country as if it's a kip, a failed state. They should see real third world countries for a while. Of course we have problems, but what country hasn't? Give me a break, says a texter. And somebody questioning them, my conversation with the former state pathologist yesterday morning. Uh, Neil mentioned it took six hours to travel a one and a half hour road from Bailnablaw to Cork. I think they first stopped off, I believe, out um, in uh, round about the Sacred Heart, I think. Were they out in Bishopstown or Wilton, I think, first? And went from there to Sarsfields Court. Why did it take six hours? And why did Emmett Dalton put a stop to an inquiry into the death of Collins? And the nurse in the hospital is on record stating that there were two bullet wounds. One in his temple, the other in his back. You're right about all of that. You're wondering as to why it took six hours to travel. Uh, the distance from Bale and to Cork. A lot of it is to do, firstly, with road conditions. Uh, secondly, with the fact that I, I think that the touring car that, that uh, Collins was driving in could get up to speeds of 100 miles an hour back then. It, it, was, a f- it was a beast of a machine. It was a Rolls Royce. Get up to 100 miles an hour. I think it was given to the Free State by Churchill, who had used it beforehand. Uh, the sleeve Namondo was a big, huge, slow tank of a thing and could only travel really, really slowly. But so, but anyway, added to that, bigger problem was that um, uh, there were blockages on the roads and there were other ambush sites set up on the roads and there was trees across all of the roads and they couldn't get around a lot of them. So they were doing back roads and they were doing this and that and the other trying to trying to get around. So that's, I mean, it wasn't as if they were dawdling six hours trying to get back to go. I mean, Collins was dead, um, but they were trying to get back ASAP. But there were a lot of things in their way as they headed back along. So some text from yesterday's program, text 0868104106, just picking up then as to whether doctors are seeing patients in GP practices. Thank you to Teresa. She says, I work in a clinic, a GP practice, and our patients are being seen. They wait in the car until they are called by the doctor. They then come into the doctor to be seen, unless they have respiratory system problems, in which case the doctor speaks to them first before bringing them in. 
Patients who have respiratory symptoms are asked to do an antigen test before attending to protect us, the staff, and other patients that are coming in to see the doctor. We would never deter ever the patients from speaking to the doctor or anything like that. And one more. I see my GP all the time. I don't know what the lady on the air is talking about. It must be just with her GP. Um, yeah, well, okay. We're, we're still at a stage where people are waiting out in the car uh, to be called in to see the doctor. Uh, so uh, much has changed, but still a lot more to do. Uh, hopefully we'll arrive at a time when all of that stuff is gone and people will be able to go about their business 100%. All the yesterday got the impression from people who are immunocompromised that they're still as worried and concerned going out and about. One lady on the air yesterday, yesterday said, could people be a little bit more considerate to people who are immunocompromised? A lot of the time you'll know because they're wearing a mask. So give them a bit of space. They're very fragile in that regard, and they're still very nervous. Right, you be text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Now, uh, I will come back to text hopefully a little later on this morning. But uh, between now and midday today, we have uh, some great giveaways just to lighten the mood. I have a bumper of family passes to give away for tourist attractions between now and the end of the week, and indeed next week as well. Uh, although it's Mick Mulcahy will be on the air next week, and he'll be doing the business then. But we have the farm in Granada. We have passes for Skibbereen Heritage Centre and we have passes to get on up there and to ring the Shandon bells. So that will happen. Family passes for those between now and midday and more across the week. But I mentioned that opening uh, tonight, actually, uh, at the Opera House is Copperface Jack's The Musical. And it opens tonight and it runs through until Sunday, this coming Sunday. Uh, so it's a lot of fun, great music and a good laugh. So we have two prizes for this. One is a Prosecco reception in Cork Opera House, plus a box at the Opera House for eight of you um, for the show, with the Prosecco reception as well, your own private box. The second prize is overnight accommodation for two in the Jackson Court Hotel. Jackson Court Hotel is above Coppers, I think, isn't it? Am I'm, I'm right? I've never been there. I think the hotel's upstairs, Coppers is downstairs. And then complimentary gold tickets to Coppers Nightclub. Okay. Um, plus a pair of tickets to see, see the show in the Cork Opera House. So two great prizes that we must shift today. So I've been asking you, where did you meet your loved one, your partner, your husband, your wife, whatever? Uh, we've got some calls on that between now and uh, midday today. And we'll start the first of them after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Well, it's fair to say that uh, Reardon's is probably the Cork equivalent to Coppers, but I'm asking the same question to everybody that comes on as to whether they've been to either or both. So, Sheila, good morning. Good morning. Have you been to Coppers? Uh, I haven't been to Coppers, but I have been to Reardon's. Okay, the Cork equivalent <laughs> to it. Anyway, yeah. let's see. Let's get some calls on the air now over the next hour or so. We'll jump in and out of other things as well. Where did you meet your partner? What is it? Your husband, your partner, your girlfriend, your boyfriend? What is it? Yeah, he's, he's my my husband now. I met uh, Sean when I was 16. He says you're an impressionable 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, share the story. How did it happen? Um, so he, he we were um, after starting, well, I was after starting in the civil defence. And I'm from a small village called Ballyhooley. And they used to do pickups in Ballyhooley and then take you to wherever the training was. Um, and he, they picked me up, and we went to um, we went to Castletown Bear, not Castletown Bear, Castletown Moat. And he used to like 
used to like pinch the back of my knee to, to <laughs> it was like a reflex uh, thing but he he pinched back my knee a few more times than what you normally would um and our we went to like Moor Park then I don't know if you know it it's outside for my yeah. and the the guy who was driving the ambulance was setting myself oh, hang on a second. Up. so you met him in the back of an ambulance is it yeah, I met him in the back of an ambulance. And he's giving you little reflex tests. That's it, little pinches on the back of Little touchy-feely guy, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Do you not slap his hand he, away? He, he, he was, like, he had been a few years in civil defence, so a, I was, was just okay. a newbie. It's okay, I'm medically trained to do this, he was telling you. Don't worry, this is all, me- this, <laughs> is, this is medical. Medical intervention. <laughs> uh, he was. He was. He was very. Uh, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, so yeah, that's just... fine. But he stopped at the knee, did he? He didn't want to check out he, any other parts. Uh, no, he stopped at the knee. Remember, now this is like back in nineteen ninety four. So you know, you wouldn't have gone any further than that. You want to bet? <laughs> <laughs> well, my 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 mom would have been uh, quite strict. So the the fact that I was getting into an ambulance with all in Ballyhooly and back in an ambulance with a major... pinch in your knee. Let's see if yeah, he, let's see how much that, let me see how much he recalls of it, Sean. <laughs> Hurry, Emil. <laughs> I'm taking your name in vain here. You've won, you've wandering hands, pal. <laughs> I remember it very very well. <laughs> well, well, why were you checking their knee reflexes? What were you at, man? We were we were actually doing a demonstration for because obviously we, we you know as part of our classes um, you know at, at the time our instructor was 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 trying to set up a new class in, in a in a new village so we were going doing a demonstration so Sheila was actually supposed to be a casualties part of the thing and I was in charge of the team that were looking after the casualties so part of the thing was testing reflex on the back of the knee see if they were alive and she, she couldn't move because she was she was supposed to be dead so it was all good. So lucky you weren't <laughs> checking for chest pains, wasn't it, pal? Well, I won't go there now. It's all professional. All professional. <laughs> I'm medically trained for this intervention. Don't worry. There's exactly. Nothing going exactly. <laughs> nothing untoward happening here. This is purely medicinal. Excellent. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. All right. But you fancied you fancied you fancied her sister, was it? Or was it a girlfriend or what? No. Uh, so she thought was, you were a girlfriend or something like that. She got, yes. Yeah. Was it was Sheila? my sister. Oh, yours. <laughs> So, so, so she, <laughs> you, you, you thought, you thought his sister was his girlfriend, is it? Yeah, I did, because like he was sitting in the, the front this, seat was of all the ambulance. This, was all this still when you were supposed to be dead? Is it? No, it's uh, a different day. Okay. Different day. Different day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there's, there's a seat behind the front seat in the ambulance and there was a girl sitting there and uh, she was like doing loads of chats with Sean and everything was, you know, you know, very friendly and but of course it was and I thought they were girlfriend and boyfriend. I was going through your head, come back here, Sean, and pinch my knee again, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but I, yes, please. <laughs> There are other parts that need work on. Oh my god! <laughs> we were very innocent back then, Neil. It was know, years ago. It's me. It's my mind. I know you're. I know you're totally innocent and above board. Don't get me wrong. So, how did you get about to going out then? Um, uh, a few days later. Yeah, a few days later after after that after that day, um, I, I got the courage up to. Well, I actually got my sister to ring. 
um, because I the, the courage to ring and I got the courage. Uh, yeah, I, I there's got, no I, courage I really in getting call. your sister to do your dirty work for you. Yeah, man. no, she rang and she got her on the phone and handed her over to me. And like, what was weird was she was wondering why this girl who was my bo- my girlfriend uh, was ringing her. She couldn't figure out why. Because so, you, yeah, so. you have a very peculiar way of doing things in Castle Down Road. That's why. We try our best. Yeah. We try our best. <laughs> Keep it in the family up there. <laughs> All right. And of course, you, you described it as having first seen her as having been hit by a thunderbolt, was it? <laughs> Yeah, because I, I said I was in I was in the front of the ambulance with the driver when when she got in because we picked them up in their in their village, um, and like all I remember is these blue eyes coming in and it just literally hit me like a thunderbolt. It was it was the most mad thing ever. Sounds quite painful. Um, no, it was, it was all good. I was fine if I had been hit by a thunderbolt. I was in the ambulance anyway, so I was fine. Uh, <laughs> get the paddles out. And did you marry? Yeah, we got married uh, fifteen years ago. Did you get your sister to ask her? No, I did that myself this time. <laughs> <laughs> and he happily married, do you? 28 years ago. It was our, what well, it I, I think we're happily married anyway, as far as I know we are. Are you happily married yeah, to Sheila? We're, we're happily married. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, funny. Yeah. I love it, I love it, I love it. That's we were it. in, if you, can, if you can imagine a girl, Neil, coming in in a like, bright yellow uh, boiler suit. Because that's what we wore uh, back then for some are you, of the Are you suggesting there was absolutely nothing attractive at all for which you would be hit by a thunderbolt of love? <laughs> a woman in a boiler suit in the back of an ambulance. A woman in a boiler suit in the back of an ambulance. Ah, yeah, but I'd say when he saw you on his first date, it was a different story, yeah? Ah, baby. <laughs> Very innocent. <laughs> great, great story lads I love it thanks for sharing it <laughs> take care for now Sheila and Sean <laughs> follow that I don't know how much of this one I get on this on the air this side of 11 but Jason good morning simpler time can you hear me Jason yeah how's the going okay so you uh, hooked up with your loved one at a Halloween party I think was it Yes, that's right. Okay, that's and that doesn't... And I have a photograph of it. Doesn't look much like a Halloween costume to me. What What were you wearing? Um, I dressed up as a one-night stand. <laughs> as in, so, you have a lampshade upon your head. That's it. So it was just a play on words, more or less. Where did so you meet her? Um, it was about eight years ago now, I think. Where? Where? At the party. Was this a house party for Halloween, is it? Yeah, there was a house party. So, so you arrived with a placard around your waist. Is it a box? It's a. It's That's the box. Yeah. Yeah. Saying one night stand, as in nightstand being a lampshade nightstand, and she exactly. liked your sense of humour, was it? Well, that night when we when I got there, she thought I was a bit of a player. So, <laughs> so I. <laughs> As you can imagine, so there wasn't a, a whole lot happened that night. No, there's very little could happen if you're stuck inside in a lampshade with an alarm clock and pills and tablets up on top of it. A lot of work went into that. Well, it's I was actually invited to the party two weeks beforehand, but I had a prayer engagement, so I couldn't make it. But that fell through the, the night before, so I was kind of stuck without a costume. So I had a look online and I saw something similar. So I went down to the Blackpool Shopping Centre into deals, spent about 10 quid in total and put it together in about half an hour. You spent a tenner in deals, you come out with most of the shop. <laughs> That's true too. And I, I had a lad on the lampshade 
Did you buy the pyjamas that you wore in deals as well? No, that was mine, unfortunately. That, that was my hospital jammies. Do you sleep in pyjamas at night? No, it's, just, it's specifically for hospitals. You'd have to wear something inside in hospitals, but wouldn't you? Your hospital exactly. pyjamas. So you, you met your loved one in your hospital pyjamas. Exactly. This gets better and better. How'd you ask her out then with the lampshade on your head in your hospital pyjamas? No, I didn't. We were just chatting that night and we met up again at a friend's birthday at the start of December and it wasn't until a New Year's Eve party in the same house that we actually and we got together. Did she remember you? Because now I suppose you were wearing proper clobber, were you? Yeah, but I don't think you could forget me with the lampshade on the head and the one-night stand, so I think that kind of image is still ingrained in her memory. <laughs> so she, a lot of people are attracted by humour, aren't they? People that can make them laugh. That was the case with you. I think so. I think so. Once you got past the actual thing that when you had the player in words that you could come across as a bit of a player, she saw the humour in it. And are you a bit of a player? Well, I used to be when I was younger, but I'm after mellowing out a bit now, I suppose. <laughs> I wish I had more time to develop that line of conversation. Anyway, you got married? Beautiful little girl? Yeah, we got married um, three years ago over in Spain, and we had a little girl nearly a year ago, and it should be a year in September. So when she's old enough, would she be able to see the photograph of Daddy in the one-night stand with the lampshade on his head? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's the longest one-night stand our life. <laughs> The longest one night stand ever, wasn't it? Exactly, exactly. But it was well worth it in the end. And sorry, what's your wife's name? Um, Nicola. Nicola and Jason. Fair play to you. Thanks for sharing. I'm under a small bit of pressure for time, so great story. More of those and lots more besides. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is The Neil Frienderville Show. Okay, we'll jump in and out of other calls, particularly with regards to our giveaways across the morning. But just in other news uh, over the past few days we're dealing with different I think it's awful what's happening to those four lads down on Copley Street they were happy enough in their own home and then with the flick of a, a pen or whatever the case may be out they go into bed and breakfast and the house is freed up for others now I don't know for whom but they were happy where they were and I can't seem to get an answer as to why all of a sudden after two years making it their home they've been told sorry you're now going to a bedroom you have no facilities in there it's a bed and breakfast and they all have serious health issues what are they supposed to do with their day you know the conditions that their lives are in, particularly with their illnesses and their disabilities. I think it's all wrong. I did read an article on at the weekend, actually, whereas in Sicily, in some villages in Sicily, they have, now, they have so many unoccupied homes and derelict homes and homes in need of repair and doing up that they've come up with a new scheme, which is literally in Sicily, in parts of Sicily, selling abandoned houses at really low costs to help attract buyers to the island. Um, and it's amazing. That, I mean, one of the sections of the article grabbed my attention. It said that even so cheap as in many cases, you can buy them for as little as a euro. Now, you might have to put 5, 10, 15, 20 grand in. I don't know how much you'd put into them. But they are so low that they're pretty much being given away at this stage to try and rejuvenate uh, the local economy and to get people back into remote areas of Sicily to live and do up the homes. I mean, just go for a drive around West Cork or South Kerry and you see the amount of properties that are just abandoned. Another point that we were dealing with recently, of course, had to do with Gatso vans and speed vans and 
doubling penalty points for speeding and what have you. Um, and we were chatting a lot about the cameras and whether they were needed or whether they were just a money-making exercise. And at one stage, we mentioned that it's different in the UK. Somebody texted to say they use a thing called automatic number plate recognition, right? And they do. Uh, Mark Willington came back to me on this. And here's how it works in the UK. They are they have sets of cameras. They don't use Gatso vans, vans, like sounds really old fashioned. You have a van parked on the side of the road with a camera in the back of it and a camera in the front of it. What they use is they set up, these are permanent cameras, right? So a car passes the first camera and the car is picked up. And that's kind of a linked sequence. The first camera takes an image of the number plate. So it's able to identify the car. And then when it passes the next camera and the camera after that and camera after that, the time is recorded automatically, taken to pass between the two cameras. cameras, And that's how they work out then, the distance that it takes to travel between the two cameras. And that tells them whether you're above or below the, uh, the speed limit. And you get a fine in the post. Game over. They also don't have any tax discs in the UK. They got rid of them in 2014. And the checks are done now using same thing, number plate recognition. They have a vast networks of network of cameras across the entire country. Um, England, I imagine Scotland and Wales are the same. And they use number plate recognition. So everybody is get, everybody ultimately gets caught by one of these cameras because they're everywhere. So it means that everybody has to tax their car. Like you just won't get away with it. You just automatically get the fine in the post. So I think that's a much more efficient system, isn't it, to keep people in check, I suppose? Now, others wouldn't agree with that, I know. Saying, oh, no, you can't be watched by cameras all the time, 24-7. And one other thing, we were talking about why has petrol dropped in price from a high of, would we agree, 225 to where it is now? Uh, could be, like, what is it, 184, 185, 186 kind of thing? Why did it drop so fast? Other things haven't and have gone up. And I mentioned that I would just update you. If you're building or thinking of putting on a house extension or getting work done in the home and you're wondering why you're finding it difficult to get a quote that would be valid for any considerable length of time. The reason is what's happened within construction over the past 12 months. So the CSO sent me a list of price indexes up to July of this year. Got it this morning. Got an email. Thank you for it. They send me regular stuff like that. The cost of timber in the past 12 months has gone up 110%. Cost of timber for construction. Structural steel has gone up 48% since this time last year. Precast concrete, 33.5% up in 12 months. The windows and the doors that you might be putting in, 30% dearer from this time last year. Um, Sorry, I think I might have said last month and comparing this time of the year with last year. Windows and doors up 30% on last year. PVC uh, doors included in that. Pipes and all sorts of fittings, PVC that might be needed for windows and things, 30% up. Pipes like copper, things that you might need for plumbing, 27%. So 110 for timber this time last year, it's 110% dearer. Um, Structural steel, 48% dearer. And all the rest then, year on year, 33, 30, 30 and 27. So that's why, um, you know, quotes are gone through the roof because of the cost and the producing of the manufactured goods that go into building houses or putting in housing uh, extensions and what have you. Everything else has gone up as well. It's all gone north. Uh, temporarily, petrol's going. Does it mean now the petrol will continue to come down? 
I hope so. Listen, in other news, um, yesterday I mentioned on the air that Bresnan's in the English market were closing. It's very sad because it was the longest business in the English market by all accounts. Um, And Pat Bresnan is a nephew of Michael. And Pat owns the butchers in Douglas Village and also has a wholesale meat business himself. And I was just asking him on the air to explain uh, as to why after all of these years, I think something in the region of, did I read 108 years, I think? Bresnus is closing. Pat, good morning. Oh, hang on a second. Let me get my phone. There you are, Pat. Good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Ah, uh, yeah. We were very sad yesterday to hear of the news. Why? Twenty. Well, sorry, one hundred and twenty-four years in the English. One hundred and twenty-four years. Yes. Uh, so we're we. Michael would have uh, had the longest-serving stall in the market. Now, um, unfortunately, Michael has experienced ill health. And he's he's unable to return to the stall. I know. And his family, sons and daughters, they have their own careers. So at this stage, now we've decided that uh, the market it won't continue. Now we do have our cousins Omani's in there, Owen and Emer, and they would be uh, my aunt's children. So that's sort of continues the legacy of the presence within the market itself. But we'll continue in Douglas as normal mm. uh, in Douglas Village Shopping Centre. And uh, uh, like that now, it, 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 unfortunately, the market, it, it will no longer be what it was. And Michael must be heartbroken with this, is he? Well, he is, but um, he's basically, he's a, he actually has a brain tumour. And oh, uh, he, he, uh, unfortunately, just, he, he, he has no option other than to uh, finish up. And uh, he, he really, at this stage, you know, just has to... Uh, concentrate on his health, on his health and, and his well-being. His, I understand his kids, his kids, and his grandkids as well. I know, and we wish him well. We wish him well. And tell me, this goes back at least a few generations. I mean, how many? Oh well, we I would be the fourth generation, and at this stage, so it would have been um, it would have been actually Michael Breslin, the original senior, you could say. Yeah, eighteen ninety-eight. In eighteen ninety-eight. And then uh, my grandfather, Pat, uh, he would have uh, taken it on after that. Then yeah. Michael. And now myself and my sister are actually in Douglas with my father, Liam. So um, it's fourth generation and going going on, you could say. And um, oh, we've been in Douglas ourselves in the village shopping centre since, because it was 79, I think it was, or 78, one or the other. And uh, previous to that, we would have been actually in the village itself, right next to Barry's Bar. I know it. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's uh, it's ongoing and long may it last. Yeah, but this chapter comes to a close after 124 years, unbroken presence in the English market. I mean, that is some achievement, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I don't like. I, I don't think it'll ever be matched. Through the um, good times for... and the bad, through depressions, flooding, fires, pandemics, everything. Absolutely. And uh, managed to keep going through it all and managed to serve the people of Cork and, uh, you know, give them what they were looking for between yeah. Christmases and Easter's and all the festivals. So um, I don't know, they had good times in there, I must say. And wouldn't it be and, fair uh, to say that Bresnan's fed? OK, obviously it did uh, a, a roaring business with restaurants and hotels. But on top of that, it, it, it put food on the tables of Cork for nearly 130 years. Oh, Absolutely. Um, that that would have been our bread and butter. The people who are coming into the shop, um, the the customer who you're, you know, talking to at the counter, discussing what they're going to have for dinner and lunch. Yeah, that's that's where you you make and break your business. And way back uh, in the day, of course, it would have been people without a whole lot of money, wouldn't it, Pat? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there was a time there, even in Douglas. I remember as a kid, where 
People would be outside the door at 8 o'clock in the morning. They would be cooking from scratch. They would be basically getting only what they could afford for that day or the day following. There was no planning ahead. Uh, as you say, there was some there was some fierce hard times back in the day. Yeah. And uh, like that, now people even nowadays are looking at their budgets, making sure that they get they maximise what they buy. And especially nowadays, they, they want to minimise waste. So the last thing you want to be doing is buying something too big for a family of two adults, two kids. You just get enough for what you need. And that's it. I think that's a fabulous story you tell because we are talking about, if you go back, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, no supermarkets, no massive shopping trolleys. In my mother's time and hers before, they went shopping no, every no, day. No fridges and no freezers as well. Oh, I forgot about that. So that's why yeah, the produce yeah. had to be bought every day, consumed every yeah. day, fresh every day. So there would have been very regular trips into the, into the city and into the English market, perhaps even almost daily. Oh, there would have been. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, back in the day, um, I remember my father, when he was only a young fella, so 60 years ago or more, he would have been doing the home deliveries, which came to a, came to a halt 50-odd years ago, but are back up and running again nowadays because with COVID, that took off again, and we're still doing it on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. Yeah, but you're not up on messenger bikes like they were back in the days, you're not... No, no, I think we'll stick to the old motor car. With the brown parcel wrapped in twine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and there were, I mean, obviously, bad, yeah. presidents would have employed messenger boys, yeah? Oh, we would have, yeah, sure. Every butcher in the market would have had uh, one or two, and they would have been travelling up and down uh, the north side, south side of uh, Cork, so you would have been fierce fit from it, obviously. <laughs> and uh, like that, um, that, that was a, a very normal, regular thing, and it wasn't really until refrigeration and freezers and supermarkets came in that that came to a halt. That changed the model then totally, didn't it? Now the pressure was really on. Supermarkets came, fridges and freezers and weekly shops. Now the pressure's on. Exactly. And how do you adjust to that? And you have to adjust to it. That's exactly it. And what they always say, um, you, you have to adapt to the changing market because if you don't adapt, people simply go elsewhere. That's the reality. So what will happen with the unit, do you know? Oh, no plans as of yet. Um, so I suppose if somebody is uh, interested in possibly setting up a business in there, they, they might approach uh, the guys and uh, see what see what can be done with it. But um, whoever takes it on, anyway, best of luck to them because there is people going in and out of the market. It's just trying to identify what uh, customers want and what they what will actually they, what they'll buy you. Well, say. I tell you one because, thing about uh, the English market: it has diversified over the years, hasn't it? Hugely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, as with anything nowadays, like you see it, the ready-to-eat market is more and more. Uh, and the, you, to try and, if you're looking to sell somebody food that they have to cook themselves, it's all about then giving the customer service in relation to how to cook it, what uh, to do with it, what to have sides with it. That's what, a, that's what they basically want. Great to be they able want, to ask they, they questions. They want the advice. They do, you know? yeah. How best to handle this, particularly if you're getting it for the very first time. And the appearance and the dressing and the preparing of it. and Because people buy with their eyes, don't they? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Chalk Everything is with their eyes. Yeah, chalk it down. And is there any kind of a send-off planned or anything or a get-together, I wonder? Well, they had a little bit of a sort of a champagne send-off inside there on Saturday. And um, now we're sort of waiting to find out when Michael might be able to come out of the hospital. So we don't know. Um, so we'll we'll see where we go on that. At the moment, he's he's in, and we don't know uh, when he might be coming out. Okay. 
Well, listen, we had a lovely chat, happy in many places, but undoubtedly sadness after 124 years, the longest unbroken presence in the English market. I wonder who now will take up the mantle as the longest business now that presence is gone. Well, we we will soon find out, I suppose, Neil. I'm yeah. not sure who's there now, but I, I could tell you that O'Mahony's are there quite some time uh, at the front of the market there on the Grand Parade who are our cousins yeah. so they, they, they may well be or possibly O'Connell's uh, the fishmongers yeah. I'd, say it's, I'd say it's between the two of them yeah yeah, certainly a bit of research needed doing there to see who is but let us not pass without wishing Michael well that he may recover and have um, you know happy days ahead in his retirement pass on our best wishes to the entire family if you will Pat Thank you very much, Neil, and I'll pass that on to you. Thanks very much Lovely for your uh, kind you. words. All right, my friend. Thanks. All the best to you and all the Bresnan family. Wonderful people. The Bresnan clan, lads. After 124 years in the English market. It's sad, isn't it? It really is, no matter what way you look at it. My God, if the English market could talk, it would tell some stories. Mind you, the stories are told. You'll just feel them. You're almost in them as you walk about it. And it had to diversify to survive, really. It had to change. It had to bring in new, different food ideas and food options from all over the world. One of them, I mean, it's amazing. Like, and it's so seasonal as well. Um, I think it's in the springtime in, in one of the particular stalls where you can buy all of the beautiful olives and cheeses and things like that. They do the most fantastic pesto. It's a wild garlic pesto. I mean, it is the most beautiful thing. Uh, and it's just beautifully viscous and everything. And it's very, it runs and you can put it on cheeses and breads and you can put it on tomato and everything. And it's gorgeous and it's totally natural. Uh, these are the kind of things. You wouldn't have got that 124 years ago. But that's how it had to change to diversify and to survive. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Actually, the whole city has diversified, really. There are more options now in all sorts of different walks of life, whether it's fashion or whether it's for the home or whether it's anything to do with food or socializing. And Sunday afternoon, I had the most fantastic lunch. It was a late lunch in a place called Moody's. It's just one of the many new restaurants and food offerings in, in the city. And it's over on... Um, it's actually on the lower road, uh, just at the junction there with Summerhill North, um, up from King's Terrace, where my father was uh, was born. And it's they've knocked two or three different businesses into one old buildings. One is a tiny one. The one on the corner, I think I remember being a car rental, a tiny little car rental. It might have been Clancy's car rental, I think. I think another one then could well have been Cudmore's. And a third one might have been a chemist way back in the day, and the three of them have been knocked into one. And by and large, they do tapas, but big portions of tapas. Fabulous, fabulous food. And their location is fantastic. The decor is great. The staff are unbelievable. They're indoors and outdoor service. It's just fabulous and a new addition. If you like your, your tapas, and don't be afraid, because a lot of the time I'm afraid that I'll come away hungry. You won't. The portions are huge and the food is fabulous. Anyway, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Back to the lines we go. We have some great prizes to give away this morning. Somebody said, the irony of you saying you have to shift copper-faced jacks, passes and tickets and prizes, as in the word shift. A lot of shifting. Of course, the shifting went on not just in, in copper-faced jacks, but also in Reardon's, because Reardon's down through the years would also be full of nurses and guards and primary school teachers. But anyway, the story's being, how did you meet your partner? Jennifer, good morning. It is your turn to share all about you and your loved one. Where did you meet? Jennifer? Sorry, there you go. Uh, we met um, at Knockadoon. Do you know Knockadoon in, Bal- um, in Balmacoda? That beautiful, ca- that beautiful little secret beach that many people don't know about? Oh, it wasn't. We were at a Catholic retreat. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It, okay. Uh, Tell me it, about it, that it, on the beach. 
18 years ago, um, no, 19 years ago, me and my husband, now my husband, we're together 18 years, we met, um, uh, he went with a group from Dungarvan and I went on my own and I knew no one. And he, we literally, he caught my eye, he caught, I caught his eye and he's like, I'm having you. And I was like, no, you're not having me. I says, that's not the kind of talk you should be engaging in at at a religious retreat. I'm having you. In your 2000, you have an hour off and it's, it's all about mingling. But we literally, you did have the chastity talk. The girls were in one room, the boys were in the other. The dorms were separate. No word of a lie. It was literally like lock and key. If you were caught in the boys' dorm, you were literally sent home to mammy. Chastity like, talks, I mean, as in you must remain a maiden kind of talks, is oh it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Literally, no, literally, the birds and bees, like, literally, like, you're in the girls' dorm for a reason. And this is why we're having this chat and you're supposed to wait till you're married. Right. How do you feel about that? You you were all for that, were you? No, I had a child, so it didn't make. You know, I had I I had a child before me and Aidan got together. Right. Okay. And I met him at a Catholic retreat. So just it's it's. <laughs> so how did you break out of the locked dorm if you only had an hour we to did, get your we, hands on it? We didn't, we literally, we literally went into, like, there's a room, in Akadun it's so cold, and there's a room, like, the doors are open, there's fishing nets everywhere, and at night time they do night ad- 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 adoration, so you're, like, you put down your hour, but it was so cold that we all went into this room, we all started talking, and the maiden was there, and he says to me, he says, I, um, I, oh, do you fancy being boyfriend and girlfriend, and I was like, no, I'm not ready, I said, I'm just after having a two-year-old, I says, I'm not ready for a relationship and he says okay uh, but he says I, I, I want you and I'm not going to give up and he went back to Dungarvan <laughs> and he told all his friends in Dungarvan that I was the one and that he wasn't going to stop till he got me and I literally he ringed me when he was drunk he ringed text me when he finished work that was it <laughs> drunk so phone later, calls in the middle of the night yeah it? in the middle of the night 20 past 3 in the morning like I would have been up with my little one but like 20 past 3 in the morning he'd ring and go and the girl lads were like, oh, he's literally crying at the back of the end of the bus. All he wants is you. And I was like, oh, but sure, we're not together. So Nixon and then... Would that right, not put I you off a drunken, loud call in your 20s at 3 in the no, morning? No, 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 well, no, Because okay. no. when, 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 when you're a mammy, do you know you need someone to talk to? Okay. And instead of talking to a poor brick wall, he was... Okay. It wasn't just... So we literally ended away about a year later. Um, I had a bad experience and he texts, he just got a car and he says, um, I'm on... He goes, what you doing? And I says, I've just finished an unnamed club. He goes, oh, you all right? And I said, no. He goes, I'll be, I'll pick you up. So I was like, Graden, come on. I said, after a year, I was like, no, we're not together. Like, we're not, nothing's going to happen. And um, we ended up across the road from my mother's house in a car park. Um, right. And should, I ask you, you should I ask you about that? Oh, no, no. We were just, we were literally, we were literally just talking. No word of a lie. We were okay, literally no, talking. Okay. Baby, I'm not like, the guards. T- they are not the guards. You have to defend yourself to me. No, no, no. But I'm not saying my baby sister was in the car. She was in the no-name club. So we dropped her home. My mother thought I was literally in bed. Okay. So I was like, I'm not about her. So Aiden goes, come on, what do you think? I said, let me think about it. I'll text her. And before he got to Aldridge... I say I text him. I said, "Come on, we give it a go." That was Patrick's weekend, and we ended up back a year later in Nakadoon on another retreat. If let me ask you, keep going on about the Nakadoon retreat. Is that was that in a in a building with kind of nuns or priests or, or what was no, it? No, it's. It, did you ever hear of year two thousand? I know the year two thousand. I vaguely remember. No, there's it. a there's a young there's a young people's group, sixteen to thirty five year olds. We all used to meet. Well, thirty five. Um, we all used to meet for retreats 
we we had a prayer group and y'all. And was um, it, yeah, the retreat is then, still going on there, but it's also a place where you can <laughs> clearly hook up with the uh, hook up yeah. with somebody that but might like, take your eye. Like literally, we were like the person that brought Aiden the first time. We call her Holy jo- Holy Joe Jar. Like she wouldn't let like I know spin home. She would not let me get into the car with Aiden. Yeah, I understand all Just of that. In case I, something yeah, did happen. I, no, like, I mean because you're listen, your safety. Don't don't get yeah, me wrong. I know we're having like, a good yeah, laugh, but there's a serious like, side to it. There's, there's there's loads of people. Like I've been to Medjugorje and everything, and it's always been single rooms and. Yeah, no, like I that. understand all but that, like, but I'm just blown like, away with the stories. So, did you settle down? Did you marry and everything? Yeah, we're eighteen. We're nineteen years together, and we're how long are we married? We're twelve years married. <laughs> I always told that I always told, said to Aidan that I get married on my thirtieth birthday, the year of my thirtieth, and in February he literally said, uh, "Let's get married." I was like, "Yeah, but we're like it's going to take time." And six months later, we were married. Great story. I've been ten years together. Great story. And and it cost us two and a half thousand. I love it. I love it. I wish I had more time then, with everybody, Jennifer. It's a great story, and thank you oh, for sharing. Oh, but no, that's what I'm saying. But it's not like if you like I've loads of friends that may have met. On retreat, <laughs> and I've literally gone to America to live that's with someone. Me, yeah, says you have. To, no, yeah, I've loads of loads, like loads of girlfriends that have actually married people that they've met through Catholic retreat. Like, it sounds to me as if a Catholic retreat is much better than a dating app online. If you ask me, I met like I met I met my daughter's da- dad <laughs> in Castle America on a retreat, and then I, and and okay. I rang my mother. My mother thought I was innocent, and she says, "John, what's wrong with you?" I says, Harry has no way home, ma'am. Can he stay in my, can he sleep in my city? Yeah, got another bother. Same with Aiden. Oh, Aiden. Aiden's out in you all for a few drinks. No bother. Uh, all right, listen, it, be, it certainly beats Tinder and Bumble. <laughs> oh, no, just, just, if anyone, no, anyone go, go to, now it's so strict now. Like, I was 15, 15 when I, my first one. But now you have to have your parents' permission. Ah, uh, yeah, but if you're 18 or 19 and you're looking for love, yeah, go, go like on a Catholic 16, retreat. Well, it, it says from 16 to 18 years go of on. age now. Right. You okay. literally have a chaperone now. All right, I wonder okay. why, they, why we have chaperones now. I know why. Yeah, well, exactly. It, there's, a, <laughs> there's a will, there's a way. Good luck, Jennifer. Take care. Uh, hold on to Dawn there for a second, will you? Kevin? Yes, how are you now? I, I need to come up for a bit of air here. Okay. Uh, what's your own backstory? I think it involved uh, a disco in Norwood Court, which was the old hotel in Roachdown Road, was it? It was, yes. Yeah, okay. Okay, what's the backstory? Back it was your day. wife actually told me, sent us the story, but she's too shy, Estelle. Incidentally, she has a beautiful name, but you probably know that. I do, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was by fate I met her. Originally, what happened that day was you two were playing in Parky Cueve. And myself and buddies, I had the transit van at the time, and we had a toss-up. We go to the concert, or we go kayaking, and we said we go kayaking. And then we came back from the kayaking, and we said, oh, we catch the last concert. So we went to Parky Cueve, and the gates were open. We saw the last of the concert. Walked in, no said, ticket, nothing, well, free gig. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and then and next minute we said, we're going to North Course for the last point. So we went down to Norcourt for the last point. Why? Why uh, were you living down that way? There was pubs closer I, than Norcourt. I, I, I'm from I'm from Douglas, okay. and uh, okay. Norcourt was our local. Yeah, and uh, Joe Shea family used to run it back then. 
and uh, then we had the last point and we were about to go home we said look we go up to the disco so we went up to the disco anyway and next minute I was looking at this one across the tables in the, in our court and my buddy turned around to me and he, he previously tried asking my wife out on dates and he said no way will you have any chance having a date you have no hope with her, with her? Yeah, you have no hope and he said I bet you fiver that you won't get a dance with her. I said, grand, no problem. So we had a staring competition across <laughs> the tables, across the tables, and uh, now, now if you now if you did that, they'd report you to the security, <laughs> and you'd be thrown out of the gig. Possibly, all right. so, for harassment or something. <laughs> so she won the competition anyway. And I, anyway, I said, "Fuck this! I'm going over. I'm going to ask her out for a dance." Outstared you, right? Yeah. So, okay. So we drove and asked her out for dancing and so we danced away for the night and at the end of the night I turned around to my buddy and I says, keep your money, I says. I says, I'm not taking it. If she finds out that I want a bet to get a dance with her, that could be the, that could be, that could be the end of it. So, I, your man got to keep his money anyway and uh, my wife was there with a few of her friends and they were getting the bus home and I said, I had a transit van there. I give her a lift home but next minute she saw the transit van and she says, oh, oh no, no, I won't have a lift. <laughs> and I said, oh, so we had a kiss, our first kiss outside the our court. And uh, I turned around and said, I'll meet you outside Cash's next Saturday night, whatever, at a certain time. Yeah. So I was outside Cash's waiting for her and waiting and waiting and waiting. And her brother was a devil of a, of a of a fella and he was saying look if he really likes you he'll wait for you he'll wait for you and she was anxious as ever because she was from New Inn and Glenmoyer and no way getting in because she'd have to walk a mile to get the bus and uh, 45 minutes she was late and <laughs> I was that close to leaving her and the snow was back in 88, 87 and I'm still with her ever since and look, you, look you did there's few enough guys back in the day me included that would have hung around for three quarters of a night, an hour for a woman. Well, she, she was she, she was worth the, She was worth the wait, obviously. She was worth the wait because oh. she has the most beautiful blue eyes ever, and that's what captivated me. And she just had this wild streak in her way back then. Can she but, still uh, beat you in staring competitions? Oh, to, to this day, she still beat me in staring competitions. But as I keep on turning around to her. Asher, you're, you came from the north side. I said, you had to come down to the south side to find yourself a man. <laughs> but she says, ah, but you got the best of the north side girls. So. Yeah, it sounds as if you're still very much in love, Kevin. It's a lovely story. <laughs> well yeah. said, well said. Thanks for sharing, pal. Stay listening. Dawn, good morning. Morning, Neil. So, this, so it was a dating site. Uh, my recommendation yeah. to people now is stay off the dating sites and go on a Catholic <laughs> retreat. But anyway, tell me your story. <laughs> So um, back in 2010, I was a single mom, and my friend recommended me. She said, look, there's me and a couple of lads at work on a date. And so she's like, why don't you go on? I was like, all right. So in the evening time when my son was in bed, I used to go on. I wasn't a laptop now back then. It was the computer. I was just sitting in front of the computer, having chats with lads on it, but only met weirdos. Yeah. So yeah. eventually I had enough. Very little has changed then, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. You just don't know <laughs> so, if you don't. No, you don't, no. And so one night I said, right, I had enough, I'm deleting it. And I got a message off the fella. And I went in and checked it. And he had just, he didn't write any message. He had just sent me um, roses, emojis of roses. And there was a load from there. And I said, great, he's keen. So I said, I'll go and have a look at him. So he had a Facebook link 
on his profile page. So I went and had a look. He also had a son, so it's a great way something in common. So I started chatting and looking at his picture, his beautiful blue eyes drew me in. So we got chatting. And I was assuming his, it was his picture, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> he, uh, so we had stuff, he was like, I'm from Cove, he's from Douglas. His uncle and auntie lived in Cove. He had worked with my dad and my brother. They both had the same trade. So we got chatting anyway. And a week later, he said, I'll come down. He said, and we'll go for a Chinese. So he came down and picked me up from my house opened the door and he put out the hand and he says, hi, I'm John, pleased to meet you. Did he have the um, same eyes? Were they the right eyes? He did. Was he the right <laughs> height and everything? The yes, height. he was. Yeah. He had a photograph that was 20 or 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was perfect. <laughs> and we went for Chinese, then went on to drinks and then ended up dancing the night away in the calm together. We both loved dancing, still love dancing together. And um, that was it. I said, and then we... So he had a son, I had a son, and then we both had one together to complete the family, and that was what twelve and a half years ago. Isn't that and amazing? We're married. Yeah, yeah, and we're married now nearly seven years. So and isn't it amazing got- that you almost deleted the app? You were just about to I delete know. it. You would have deleted his. You would have deleted exactly. his arrival from your life. That's it, exactly. A big void in my life. <laughs> isn't it amazing how things can change on the flick of a coin? That's it. Yeah, it was meant to be. Yeah. Did he did he uh did he wine you and dine you on the night and pick up all the tab back in the day? He did. I made sure of that because if he didn't, I would have said no. I'd get but, rid of him anyway. Yeah, but, but would that be acceptable now though? It's all fifty fifty going Dutch it paying is your now. share. Yeah, it is now because like you see that now because like most girls work and bought it like back years ago. I suppose it was always the men that carried the bill, but yeah. now I'd always say fifty fifty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So do you do you go fifty fifty with him now? Oh, we do. <laughs> well, it's me that's in charge of the money, so it's me that we pay for everything. Best way to keep it. Don't change that rule, yeah. do you hear me? <laughs> no. <laughs> Great story. Okay. Thanks, Dawn. Regards to you all. Met my partner on Tinder, the online dating site. He was also speaking to one of my best friends at the time until he realised we were friends and he had to decide between the two of us without us knowing. We're now happily married and share one son and two we also have two amazing children from a previous relationship. Lucky it was love at first swipe, says Sophie. Lovely. Another one, just an email to tell the story how I met my boyfriend. So 10 years ago I met a tall ginger rugby player that played rugby with my brother and used to come into the shop I worked in at the time. He also had a girlfriend at the time. To make sure he saw me, I would shout out ooh, nice legs until he started wearing pants instead of shorts. He was mortified. Anyway, fast forward two years and many nights out of following him around a nightclub. He eventually texted me and asked me to go on our first date. He was single at that point, so she followed him. Nightclub to nightclub, pub to pub. We now have a house together and we would love a night out. I know it's not traditional love story, but I won at the end of the day. I won him, says Rachel and Red. Uh, I'm with my partner 22 years, but it should have been longer. Let me explain. When I started in first class in Skullbara in Ballancolig, I met one of my best friends in the world, Tanya. We became such good friends that once we got older, we decided that we wanted to be sisters. So we tried to set up our brothers and sisters to see if we could become sisters. Unfortunately, uh, that didn't work, so we moved on to cousins. When we were 14, we decided that Tanya would set me up with a cousin, her cousin Richard, so we could be related. You following this? We were all set to meet, and he backed out. At 16, we were meant to meet, and I backed out. But at 18, we did meet. And we're here over 22 years later, three children happily married. Sometimes isn't it just fate, but sometimes it's to be persistent. Love a night out with my husband 
uh, he's, he's in the leather at the moment. He's in the leather at the moment. I'm reading this for the first time. I'll have to leave my imagination work out. Lebanon, maybe? I don't know. Maybe he's in the army. Maybe he's in a hospital. The, maybe he's in the library. <laughs> Make up your own mind on that one. Uh, anyway, text oids. Maybe, uh, maybe he's a tanner. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's a shoemaker. <laughs> Back after the break. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Okay, for the time that I've left, of some great giveaways. Obviously, we've got the Copperface Jack stuff going on, but also, I also want to remind you that at the weekend, there's a big soul festival on in the city, and there's different events on right across the weekend. Cork's got soul, and Soul Fest is running from Friday to Sunday inclusive, with lots of different gigs going on in different places. So a couple of really great prizes. I want to open the phone lines for them now. I have a pair of tickets, a pair of vouchers uh, for the corn store on the Coal K for their newest offering, which is Tapas on the Terrace. Um, so we have a pair of tickets for Leisha Leahy's concert this Friday in Cork City Hall. The band will open Soul Fest 2022 at City Hall with their show. So that's all going on. And there's lots of other events on. You get full details at www.soulfestcork.com. So if you want, if you like a bit of soul, you like the music and everything that goes with it, the atmosphere and all of the great events that are happening on Leaside on a weekly basis and so much is happening. Phone lines are open now. A pair of tickets for the Corn Store and the Coal Cave for the new offering Tapas on the Terrace and the tickets for Alicia Leahy's concert this Friday at City Hall. Get dialing now 0818-104-106 for that one and enjoy it. As well as that, we also have our wonderful tourist passes to give away courtesy of ourselves and all the various tourist destinations that are on board, and I'll do that just before quitting time. Uh, meanwhile, just a quick one, I'll do some more of the uh, shout-outs then for where you met your partner. Uh, Joe from Joe's Hair Salon had a fabulous response. They spent three months trying to raise as much as they could to help people and many families who wanted to try and help to support, you know, budgets that they're having problems with, getting kids back to school. So there was free haircuts and there was entertainment, there was hot food and many, many people brought so much to help. I believe it happened at the weekend. Just a quick one, Joe joins me by phone. Joe, good morning. Hang on a second, let me get my phone line. Sorry, you're on four, you there, Joe? Hello? Ain't nobody on four, so maybe we might get to him before we try and get him. I did, yeah, he's not there. Let's try it again. Joe? No, he's not there. Hello? I'll come back to it in a few minutes' time. That's another call entirely. Elaine. Hi. Okay, so earlier on we were chatting about uh, a Catholic retreat. You you were at a Makra meeting, was it? That's right, yeah. As in Makra Nefarma? Makra Nefarma, yeah. Okay. We were setting up a new club um, down in Bentry. Okay, yeah. okay. So we're getting some really interesting stories this morning. Makra would be... Uh, the social side of it, where young people involved in farming meet, is it? Yeah, not even involved in farming, just um, just young people in general. Um, I suppose it has it gets the name of being a farming organisation, but um, people from every walks of life are, are involved. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, what happened? How did you meet Brian? Uh, so Brian was there as part of the Carberry Regional Committee, um, and I was coming to join the new club in Bantry. And um, yeah, I suppose I was meeting was going on. I was looking at the clock because I was in a tear to be supposed to be going on another date. <laughs> Um, so I took no notice and um, then the following week they were doing the Miss Mocker competition and they were looking for volunteers so I said I'd do it and again took no notice but obviously like I've seen pictures since like we were in each other's company but yeah took no notice um, till a few weeks later uh, we had a fundraising quiz and I suppose we were kind of scutting that night and fooling back and forth and then 
I was the treasurer of Bantry Club and we had a new member joined and because we weren't set up properly, Brian was doing the registrations and all that for us and I gave him the new members thing and I never took the new members number so I had to try and get that back. So then I was trying to get on to people to get Brian's number and so I got that and we were chatting away and he said, are you coming to the drama tomorrow night? And I said... No, nobody else is going. And he said, sure, come on away, we'll look after you. So, yeah, that was that. So you never, you never noticed him, but he had his eye on you for quite some time. Yeah, he says he didn't, but yeah, <laughs> there was something there, all right. Yeah. At a macro meeting, and the rest is history yeah. then. Are you the married long? Uh, seven years last week, yeah. yeah. Congratulations. So, um, Amazing the yeah. places where you can meet and find love, isn't it? That's it, yeah. <laughs> Never where you think. Never where you think is right. Not when yeah. you're expecting it either. That's it, that's it. Yeah. All right, hang yeah. in there. Lyang, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Tinder, was it? It was indeed. So um, we met on Tinder. So we obviously both swiped right and matched. And we were talking for a bit and decided we both happened to be going out with friends um, on a Friday night. So we said we'd meet up for a drink. But himself was late and I decided I wasn't waiting around, so I left. Where? Where? uh, It was in the Brogue. We were meeting in the Brogue um, and he was late, but he's actually not from here. So he was waiting on others and didn't have a clue where he was. So, (laughs) um, but I got annoyed and left. And next I was walking up Oliver Plunkett Street and got a tap on the shoulder and I turned around and there he was after after chasing me up the roads. So, um, yeah, that was how we met. Yeah, yeah. And again, it could have been entirely different if you'd left maybe 30 seconds earlier and he arrived exactly. and he didn't find you on the road. Do you ever think exactly. of it that way? He walked in as as I left, basically, and he took a double take and um, ran up the road and ran after me. Now, I still headed away at that point because I wasn't sure, but we actually ended up in... The same nightclub, anyway, later on. Oh, because then when he ran up after you, you were having none of it. Oh, no, no, I left. <laughs> but he I, tapped I you on the shoulder, he said. I'm sorry, I'm late, I'm sorry, I'm late. What did you say? Yeah, he did, yeah. No, but I was done at that point. I wasn't waiting around for any man. But luckily I did, because here we are five years later, three years married with a lovely little daughter. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you were dead right, actually. If the guy can't turn up on time, teach him a lesson. To be fair now, Neil, he's not from here, so he, he was waiting on others for directions. He didn't know where <laughs> Where's he, was. he from? Like the moon? Was he from a different county? Uh, no, he's South African. <laughs> so, yeah, so he wasn't long here. So, so yeah, I suppose um, a little bit of forgiveness was... was cut him some slack then. Cut him some slack. Yeah, All right, great exactly. story. Yeah, Thanks yeah. so much. Appreciate it. Fabulous. Yeah, Thank I wish you. I had more time. I wish it started it earlier. Great stories. Back after the break. We need to pick a couple of winners, guys, because we have to shift this in typical copper-faced Jack's parlance after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Listen, I'm happy to continue with these stories over the next couple of days where you met your loved one because they're very funny. So do text 0868-104-106 or email neil at uh, redfm.ie. We're also doing it on Facebook and, and Twitter, so that'll be fun and we can come back to those stories. I won't have much time left now, but I need to pick a couple of winners. And for me, absolutely, I think. I know disrespect to everybody else, but the two that really rang bells for me or floated my boat is the Catholic Retreat and indeed, um, you know, pinching the knee in the back of the ambulance. Let me start with the ambulance story. Sheila and Sean, good morning. <laughs> 
Morning. Seeing as you gave away a little bit more information than you ever had intended, <laughs> I need to re- <laughs> need to reward the two of you. Are you too Are you too far past it now to go up to Copperface Jacks in Dublin? Oh, not at all. Are you, sh- are you sure? Are you sure they might? Are you sure they might stop you on the door saying you're too old for this, pals? You need. To- <laughs> You need yeah, to we, nah, we're first young. We, we, we have a doctor to be great. <laughs> Bring false ID with you then, Sheila. <laughs> okay, we got an overnight for the two of you in the Jackson Court Hotel in Dublin. Complimentary gold tickets for a shift in Copper Face Jacks. And a, <laughs> and a pair of tickets for the show in the Cork Opera House as well, all right? Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're, you're totally welcome. <laughs> good luck, good luck, good luck. Before I go, Jennifer, morning again. Now, the story involving the Catholic treat in Nocadoon needs to be rewarded. I think you'd agree? No, no, it brings back too many, but I'm only joking. <laughs> You're, you're the, you're, the producers are asking what my husband was calling. I couldn't even think his name. That's how bad I am. <laughs> what is I his name? Out, which, what, which, which one is it? And he was like, what? Give me the name of the one you're with now, will you? <laughs> uh, his name's Aiden. Aiden, you sure it's not Andy or Andrew, no? No, it's Aiden. No, I married Aiden. He <laughs> works in a farm. I married Aiden. <laughs> well, make sure, make sure that you bring Aiden with you to a and you're into the musical as well. Do you like a little drinky poo? Yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> so you sound all excited at the prospect of Prosecco. <laughs> I'm a beer drinker, not an... Uh, no, I'm only joking. Aiden <laughs> says I drink anything out of a melted welly. Is that what you say? <laughs> melted welly. All right, well, I've got it sorted for you. Prosecco reception. Can you round up six mates to go with you, please? Um, I'll try. <laughs> okay, good luck. Care. Jennifer and Aidan, Sheila and Sean. I won't get to Joe's hair salon this morning, but he says that Joe's hair salon will give a blow drive for Sheila and Jennifer before they head off to Copperface Jacks. Excuse me now, one moment, the cheek of you. What about the boys? Not give them any bit of a blow drive for the lads as well. They don't count, I see. This world is changing way too fast for me, lads. Okay, got to go. Lines, thank you, Joe. You're very kind. I'll talk to him in the morning. Time's are, uh, time's up, so I'm going to just give away the family passes this morning. These are family passes to take yourself off to various Cork tourist attractions. So we've a selection this morning, because I've been very bold the last couple of days not doing them. So, as we head across the back end of August before the kids go back, the farm in Granada. Kids can learn all about a working farm, feed the animals, immerse themselves in lives and where life was in the 1950s. They've got vintage farm machinery, lots of fun, barrel train rides and zip wires and pedal carts and tractors and everything. We have the Skibbereen Heritage Centre, uh, which was originally the union down there that fed the people who were starving during the uh, genocidal famine that was on in Ireland at the time. It's a fabulous exhibition. It really and truly is. And we have an opportunity to ring the Shandon Bells. The sound so grand on the pleasant waters of the River Lee. Of course, it is the bells of Shandon. So get darling for those 0818104106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.